Welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Digest, where we give you a consumable dynasty perspective. I'm Sky here with Tim at Nubs. Today, we're going to be going over the 2020, the 2021, and the 2022 draft class. We're going to redraft them, and this is in preparation for a video coming out in a few days where we're going to go over the 2023 class and talk about where all those rookies fall in amongst these past draft classes. But before we get into it, let's roll that intro. It's the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I like I'm I'm in for death taxes and the 2022 wide receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really. I had not. I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods, and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. All right, guys. We got the board up here. Hopefully, if you're on mobile. Hopefully it's not too small for you, desktop users. That's where it's at. I will kickstart the 2020 class here with the 101. First, actually, I'll go over the 2020 Superflex ADP here. It went Burrow, Clyde, Jonathan Taylor, Tua, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Jerry Judy, Lamb, Justin Herbert, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager to finish out the first, Keyshawn Vaughn, Henry Ruggs, Denzel Mims, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., Brandon Ayuk, Zach Moscovizga, Shittle Jr., Brian Edwards, A.J. Dillon, Jalen Hurts, and Antonio Gibson rounding out the second round. And as amazing as this class was, because at the top, this class was juicy. I'm actually going with a player who barely snuck into the second round of this class's draft as my 101 really has proven himself, proven us all wrong. I am going with our boy, Jalen Hurts. Just got to find him here. But, you know, Jalen Hurts is you, – you, you're getting your super flex startup drafts right now. He comes off the board 103. I mean, this guy's the first name I have behind Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. The rushing floor that he offers combined with his improvements in the passing game, his elite offensive weapons around him, a winning team. I mean, Jalen Hurts is just phenomenal. I mean, this is everything you want for your dynasty quarterback. Uh, you're just praying he stays healthy and keeps doing what he's doing. So Jalen Hurts is my 101. I, I don't think that's too controversial. I'll let, I'll let you say if you think that is, and then you rattles off the next two picks, Tim. I don't think it's controversial. I think that the three quarterbacks that are at the top of this draft class really, uh, you, it's basically preference. But since like basically since Hurts has taken over his fantasy finish, his first year was 35. He didn't play all the games, nine and three. So he's trending in the right way his his team is competitive which means they're always going to be in games where they're trying to win and he's going to try to be making plays so i'd have to see no issue with it and like you said he he hits all those parameters he matches what you want in terms of a quarterback with the rushing upside as well as the fact that he can throw the ball which he's now proven great performance in the super bowl which is only going to help the optics when it comes to drafts in the offseason i love it all right we got 102 102 i'm i'm going with uh joe burrow I think it's easy to say uh, Justin Herbert as well here. It's more or less just your preference. I do like the consistency, which, which Joe Burrow has shown in, in uh, um, improvement from 25 to seven to four in fantasy finishes at the position, as well as he's got all of his weapons. Obviously Joe Mixon's kind of an up in the air, but I think that they'll be able to survive. That team's only getting better. Um, each year as well as they're improving that offensive line and it's wheels up for me for Joe Burrow. And then for 103, I'm going to follow through with uh, Justin Herbert fancy finishes of nine, two and 11. So he's been consistent because he's been able to start since he was a rookie. 
Um, there is a difference in the offense, so there's some unpredictability, unpredictability there, but there, it could be an improvement compared to last year in terms of aggressiveness down the field. But it, it, this guy's, what, 24, 25? He's exactly where oh, he yeah. wanted to be. Easy pick here. Yeah, I think with these first three picks, it might shock some people that the, the next player that I'll eventually take wasn't taken off the board. But it's crazy that out of the 2020 class, we got four players who are you really can't argue against it. First round startup picks, first round Superflex starter picks, four of them. And quarterback is just so key. It's just so important. It's it allows you to build your team in any direction you really want. It's it's the biggest need. It's the biggest fill. So the first three being quarterbacks really shouldn't be much of a surprise here. I'm going to go with the next player off the board, Justin Jefferson. Not too much to say from this guy. I mean, numbers came in, broke records as a rookie. Um, and it's just been nothing short of phenomenal since he's been there. Kirk Cousins is still there. We don't know long-term what that quarterback room is going to look like. It could change, honestly, as quick as next season. I don't expect it to, but you never know with fantasy. You never know when you don't have an elite quarterback on team, but I don't really care who's throwing Justin Jefferson the ball. This is one of the premier talents in the NFL. So I'll very, very happily be taking Justin Jefferson here at the 104. And I'm going to follow it up with another wide receiver who gets into some some first-round Superflex startup drafts. I have him as an early second-type player. Uh, a lot of people's wide receiver three. He was a de facto wide receiver three going into last season. He earned the wide receiver three spot going into the next season. That is going to be CeeDee Lamb for the Dallas Cowboys. CeeDee Lamb is just a playmaker. I mean, this is... This is a guy who earns targets at an elite level and does well with them. He can score into the red zone. He's attached to Dak Prescott, who's similar to Kirk Cousins. It's just a younger version. I wouldn't anticipate any change on that team. And the offense historically under Dak Prescott has performed at a top level. I know there are some changes. Uh, Kel Moore out the door. They bring in a couple. Uh, they're bringing in a new OC where they intend to go a little more run heavy. But I think CDLM is pretty darn safe. Whether he might not finish as like the wide receiver three. But I think CeeDee Lamb moving forward will always be in the wide receiver one conversation. So when you can lock in a 24-year-old who's going to finish top 12, and you would expect him to finish there every single year, that's extremely viable. CeeDee Lamb here, 105. Yeah, I like the position on Lamb because it's the same argument for Mahomes. Mahomes may not finish his QB1 every year, but he's going to be finishing in the top five in nearly every every season he plays and that's the value of it it's the consistency it's the pr uh, predictability and um, when it comes to the receivers that we are have already discussed they're set it and forget it players they're guys you're not even thinking about okay so tim now you got two picks who's coming off 106 107 i think this is hopefully we'll be getting into a little more of a debate here soon yeah i'm gonna go with jt i i actually had him over cd um, in my personal ranks, because I think that there is um, more upside when it comes to at the positional scarcity, as well as his actual role compared to what CD may get with that new offense, where it's just a little bit scarier, but I can see either one. Um, he's just been lights out when he's not injured. And I think that that's such an easy pick. And then I'm going to go with a Joe Burrow's target in T Higgins, because once again, if Joe Burrow's electric, he's there's going to be a reason for that, and I think T. Higgins is a, a big reason for that. Something in interesting, though, about Higgins' finish is uh, it's 28, 17, and 17, so he's been a little bit lower, but if you actually look at points per game and 
in the games that he played over, I believe it was 62% snap share. He had double digits in every single one of them. Yeah, you can't argue with T. Higgins. What T. Higgins gives you, as you said, that floor. Uh, this is another guy where I don't think T. Higgins is going to finish as a wide receiver one every single season. But this is similar to a player like Mike Evans we've seen in years past, where he's just a big body who, whether he's the number one, number two on his team, he's still going to finish as a wide receiver two at probably every single season. He has spike weeks as Tim mentioned when he's out there a little bit more, he can finish as a wide receiver one completely in his range of outcomes, but he's probably always going to be at least a wide receiver too. Uh, T Higgins is about as safe as they come. Like I love drafting T Higgins on a team where the clear wide receiver ones are a little bit gone. I lock T Higgins in. I know my, my wide receiver two is set. And then I can spend the rest of my time trying to figure out who's going to give me those huge ceiling type weeks, take, you know, use all my mid firsts in my upcoming drafts on wide receivers. Uh, T Higgins just allows you to chase the superstars because you're not worrying about getting some bit of production. T Higgins fills that role very, very nicely. Now I had the top four as a tier there, lamb and Taylor there after agree with what you said about Taylor. I mean, this guy, I want to touch on him quickly because I've seen some people fade him outside their top five type of running backs. And Jonathan Taylor has as good of a shot as anyone in the league to be the RB one next season. And he is still young and he's, you know, third year of that contract. Um, Jonathan Taylor should be viewed as a top five running back in dynasty. Uh, if you have him running back one in dynasty, I wouldn't really fight you. If you have him running back five, I really wouldn't fight you, but he's a top five running back in dynasty fantasy football guys still an elite type asset. I've seen him slide into the third round of some super flex startup drafts. And I think that value is insane, but talking about another player who goes in the third round of super flex startup drafts, I'm going to go with two attack of Iloa here coming off the board. I think him or T Higgins is a very equal conversation because what Tua is where he might not have that same ceiling that a player like Jalen Hurts has, he is still a good pocket passer, maybe not as elite as Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, but he's surrounded by top tier weapons. There were concerns about his injury. Uh, it looks like with them picking up his fifth year, not bringing in some, you know, top tier type, uh, competition. They brought in Mike White. That is a backup who can be a starter when he's got good weapons. That indicated to me they're all in on Tua. Tua is their guy. When McDaniels came into town, his big focus was instilling belief in Tua, and they were winning games when he did that. They won games before he got there with Tua. Miami is a team that's looking to win games, and Tua did fantastic last year. This player, as I said, that silly might not be that of some of these other quarterbacks, but he's at worst going to be a high quarterback two for you with the weapons he currently has if he's healthy uh if he if you knew that can, that one concussion in week two wouldn't be potentially career ending this is a guy who'd be going um before even like Dak Prescott he'd be going at the probably the top of the second round in a lot of super flex startup drafts so this is a player where you're probably getting at least a round discount based on that uncertainty and there might be a lot of value to be had there so like Tiggins he just allows you to stay flexible and chase that high-end quarterback or other needs on your roster. So Tua, pretty comfortably 108 for me. And then I have a tier break here. This is where it gets interesting. I don't love it, but I'm going to lock in Jerry Judy as my 109, which is crazy because back in the day, it was Judy or CD Lamb was the conversation. Everyone going into their drafts with kind of that mid-first. The quarterbacks there were coming off the board high. Um, and then it was... Jerry Judy or CD Lamb, plant your flag. This was a class with very strong running backs. And 
I, at the time, was so torn. I remember being very torn. I was in on Denver. I thought this was an offense that was going to put it together a lot quicker than they have or hopefully will because they still haven't quite put it together. And then C.D. Lamb has just uh, – he's, he's flourished. So it is interesting looking back. I think with Jerry Judy, this is a player – who connected very well with Russ at the end of the year. I think he's the most talented wide receiver on that roster. With Peyton coming in, I'm hoping that the offense this year takes a little bit of a step forward. Judy is the focus. And stay healthy because he's been brittle to this point. He hasn't managed to put together a fully healthy campaign. It's really it's really impacted his progression as a player. Um, I'll be curious to see if Cortland Sutton sticks around or is on this roster going into the season. If he's gone, I, I think that would be a good opportunity for Jared Judy because his splits with Cortland Sun have been a little down when he's alone. He's been a lot better, but Jerry Judy is my pick here at one Oh nine. Yeah. I like the Judy pick um, wide receiver 22 this year. And that's even with not a full season of like really good production because of how bad that offense was to start the season. And even like through the mid midpoint of the season as well. So I think that we know that there is a ceiling there. There is a consistent weekly um, ability for him to get into that top 15, top 12 area. It's just more or less if those opportunities come because of Russ. And like I said, or like you said, uh, having faith in that Peyton will turn around or at least add new wrinkles, new opportunities. I think that they're there. And I think, yeah, Judy's a good pick here for sure. Okay, Tim. Um, For mine, I'm going to go with uh, Michael Pittman. I think he's a very safe in terms of wide receiver two, wide receiver three option that gives you some upside with the target share that he's gotten. Uh, fancy finishes, wide receiver seven, 79 as a rookie, 17 uh, the year after that, and then wide receiver 20 last year. So he does show that he is capable of handling a decent uh, number of targets. They haven't really brought anybody in to compete with him for those targets. They even lost Paris Campbell, which could be addition by subtraction for some. But we'll have to end up seeing. But I, I think that this is a pretty safe option, especially for 110. Most of the 110 draft picks in rookie drafts, you're not going to feel this confident about once you end up having to pick them at this point. And for my next pick, it's kind of a debate depending on how you're looking at these players for future as well as what they've already done. Like, for example, in, in my ranks, I have Swift Dobbins and IU kind of together, which are the next couple players. So it's it's more or less if I wanted to swing for uh, what I, I think Swift could still be or what how that role with Montgomery goes or if I kind of want to see what uh, Dobbins does post-injury. But I am going to go with Swift here because I do like the upside of him at the running back position. I understand that there are going to be some doubts, and he is a depressed value right now. But I still like the opportunity to acquire him maybe put him in as a flex right now or potentially wide receiver or RB two, but his fantasy finishes have been really good. Um, he's been 18, 15 and 21. So it's been pretty consistent in PPR. I understand that the, the week to week numbers haven't been as great. So the it's been peaks and valleys when it comes to performance, but sometimes those are week winning weeks where his lower weeks aren't going to be losing you weeks. So I kind of like that option as wide receiver two, or, or I'm sorry, running back two or a flex option in my, my lineup. Yeah, DeAndre Swift, I haven't lost more sleep over any player than DeAndre Swift over the last three years. This guy, I believe in the talent. I think he's a fine player, but between being healthy and being part of obvious committees, it's been it has been tough with DeAndre Swift. I don't know if we're ever gonna see that RB1 that we thought we'd get out of DeAndre Swift, like a player like Antonio Gibbs, who we're holding hope forever. Every arrow is pointing against it. I use he is an appreciating asset. 
And it's really what do you want to buy in on on DeAndre Swift? I know in your crowdsource, Tim just got done recording KTC episode. DeAndre Swift is a player probably like running back 20 on there right now. Because I know if you're in the Twitter sphere, you're in the streets out there, a lot of the sleeper league chats, DeAndre Swift is kind of just being left out to dry. So potentially there is some buy in there, but you got to know what you're buying into, right? You're buying into a player who through catching a few balls a game and through being utilized in the red zone, because he is a good player there. I know Jamal got so many touchdowns last year, but Swift still got his fair share of touches in that area. It's a team that profiles to be a good offense and have a lot of red zone opportunities. So Swift will certainly see some. It's a player who has a floor, but potentially a limited ceiling. It's really what you get. You're getting a back-end RB2. This is what you're getting. Uh, it's very replaceable. So this isn't really someone I'm interested at this point going out and moving first-round picks for. I think there's other ways I try to use that first. Like his value for me still sits around a first. So it's tough to um it's 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 tough to move on or, or acquire for less than that if managers hold out for that. But with DeAndre Swift, if you if you get a soured manager move a second for him, that's fine. I mean, a mid to early second this year, a lot of the running backs who go in that area, there's no guarantee, especially at this point, that they're gonna go day two, nevertheless have NFL roles. So I'm cool with moving getting DeAndre Swift on board for that price or in part of a package if a manager is completely soured. But that's where we sit on DeAndre Swift. Yeah, Michael Pittman, I just want to comment on your pick. This is one of the safest players. I think you have Michael Pittman on your team as a wide receiver three. You're content with it. I think he's a fine wide receiver. Do I think he's a top 15 talent in the NFL? No. Can he be the wide receiver one on a lesser offense? Yeah, he can. He's a big talent. Uh, big player, I should say. And I think he's got good talent. He, he can do a bunch of things really well. He can use his size well. He can get a little bit of a yak. Uh, he can stretch the field, although he hasn't had many opportunities to do so at this point in his career because he's been fed kind of underneath. And as all things sit now, he still should get a high portion of the volume in his offense, even if it's not that pass heavy or that prolific. So Michael Pittman's just really safe. You might not get that same ceiling you're hoping for with a player like Jerry Judy, which is maybe where I split hairs between those two, but Michael Pittman's pretty safe. And that, that little discount he had going into year two was nice because that 79 finish or whatever you're looking at year one was just from a, a crazy injury. He had like a, I forgot exactly what it's called, like compartmental syndrome in his, in his calf or something where it was a, almost going to explode and they basically had to go in and completely rework it. And it's, it's a wild injury that put him out for pretty much the entire season. And it's a long recovery on that until you're like a hundred percent again. And there, there aren't a lot of examples of it in the week. So it was a weird one for sure. I'm going to take here at the one twelve to round out the first round. This is a player I have in a tier pass. I had Jerry, Judy and Michael Pittman kind of in a tier by themselves as players where they can be wide receiver too, but they're, very confident as my wide receiver three, then Swift where it's fringe first value. This other wide receiver that I'm going to get into Brandon Ayuk is also worth about a fringe first for me. It's a player where if you want to get out for a 24 or 25 first and re-roll the dice on an asset that could potentially have better opportunity, I wouldn't blame you, but I think Brandon Ayuk is one of the top 30 talented wide receivers in the NFL. I think he could go out there and be the best wide receiver on a lesser team but that's not the situation he finds himself in, right? So he is going into that fourth year's contract. And if you're betting on Brad and Ayuk on your team, you're kind of hoping he lands elsewhere or that that team kind of shakes things up. So right now, not only do we not know exactly what the quarterback situation is like in San Francisco, when Debo Samuel and George Kittle are healthy and their run game is going, 
Great Ayuk is left to the side. The production just isn't exactly what you would like from him. He's not a player who has performed excellently, but every time somebody goes down, which seemingly happens every single year since he's come into the league, he's performed really well. He's given you wide receiver two production for those stretches. So I think he's proven he is a quality talent and worthy of this 112 pick. But similarly to Swift, this isn't a player that I'm going to be chasing too aggressively because he does need things in his situation to change to offer more upside. Now leaving the first round at 201. This is tougher. I have three players in this next grouping of a tier, and I will say for me personally, this tier is a big step down from everything else we've kind of looked at. Um, and this isn't a pick I thought I'd be making a couple months ago, but I'm going to put in Jordan Love, sit with this quarterback in Superflex is key. There are a couple of running backs in this territory that I think you could are interchangeable. They all go around eight or nine in your Superflex startup drafts. I've seen Love be going around four, five, six, a lot in our mocks recently, which is crazy to me. I don't think his talent warrants that. But if he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, I think round nine, where those other backs that I'm sure Tim will be taking the second go, that's completely fine to take Jordan Love. I mean, you got a, a player coming into his fourth year. He's got the fifth-year option. He's young. He looked okay in his last start opportunity. and He's the guy for Green Bay here. So... Do I love the pick? Pun intended. No, I really don't. But in Superflex with these quarterbacks, there is value here to be had with with Jordan Love. And a lot of people are really excited for whatever reason. Maybe they're trying to convince themselves of something or they're desperate at the position and they'll probably be willing to pay you a future first or greater for Jordan Love, which I think is worth a lot more than he is as a player. So because of his market value and being a starting quarterback who is still on a rookie deal, who hasn't flopped yet i'm gonna go with jordan love here at the 201 yeah love's an interesting pick just because there's so many ways in which it can go like for example even what what let's say he performs decently well this year just like let's say he's quarterback 24 whatever just in terms of uh, an idea what the performance was he could potentially hold the Packers hostage when it comes to them having to acquire a new quarterback to where he ends up being a quarterback again for them while they try to figure out that, figure out that situation because of the fact that um, the age of his deal and like where it's at at the end of it and things like that, where there might be a lot of uncertainty on the market. And if he shows any sort of decent, decent upside in the running game and any connection with Christian Watson, there could be a bunch of value here. And then with Ayuk, you're right 100% that you have provided a proper perspective of expectation. Instead of putting on rose-colored glasses and romanticizing the situation, we just have to know what offense and what type of situation Ayuk is in and build your team that way. Don't over, don't expect too much from his performances because that's when you'll get yourself in trouble. You'll be lacking depth or lacking upside on the top of your roster, and it'll really hurt you. But knowing that Ayuk is ex said player you can really build a more um, tailored team to what your needs are and you left me with running backs that i have to make a decision on now and i'm not sure how i want to go about this because past performance does not equal future performance which is um, a big indicator when we were talking about swift Uh, he was very consistent but that doesn't prove anything in the future about his role do i take guys that have been injured in the past or guys that have performed well in the past but doesn't really look look like they have great roles and something as well, just to illustrate really quickly with this class. And 
a lot of these classes that is that they really thin out very quickly. They hollow out where you're not getting, you know, two full rounds of studs. You really have to kind of figure out what the risks you want to take and how you want to proceed. With this being said, though, I'm going to go with J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers. They're pretty interchangeable okay. for me in terms of order or rank. It's more or less just the injury risk that I want to take on both of these guys. Reason being is we did see some tick up in performances from both of them as the season uh, kind of came to a close. But with Dobbins, he was still very limited on his snap share, had a couple big games. And with Akers, he was playing against pretty bad teams that are out of the playoffs. So I'm not sure what type of indicators that gives you going forward. But with second round risk that we're in right now, I think it's a fair risk and it doesn't cost you too much to do so. Yeah. I I can't hate all the picks. I I do have one. Ooh, sorry about that. I do have one name over Cam Akers here. I have Cam Akers in his own little tier because he's just such a special player. We've talked on this channel where we faded Cam Akers so dang hard to the point where now he is a buy because manners were so off. His opportunities there, the team doesn't have the capital or the resources to really replace it. They're in a transition period. Could it just be a bad offense with a quarter or with a running back that cannot sustain a workload for multiple weeks due to his injury history and you know the the tear that the Achilles has on your body going forward um potentially or this could be a back who's just the only guy and is just fed whatever volumes to be had um and he he thrives I mean and thriving for Cam Akers would just be giving you RB2 production which at this cost you'd be really really excited with him going around 10 Super flex startup jobs, you'd be stoked with that. So I think the reward for your risk on Cam Akers at this newfound cost is really appropriate. But the running back that I'm going to take here, who I might take over Cam Akers, is AJ Dillon, albeit not as exciting because he doesn't really catch passes. Aaron Jones is still probably going to be there as long as AJ Dillon is, and he's so much better at that role. I think in their flux period, they might lean more on this run game than they have in years past, especially in the red zone. I don't think Jordan Love, they're going to give him the key and say, hey, go toss these one-yarders to that experienced Christian Watson over there. Um, <laughs> I, I think in the red zone, the, their first look will probably be to the run game. Hope How much they get to the red zone, how prolific they are uh, between the 20s to get there, that will need to be seen. Well, you know, But... When they're there, A.J. Dillon last year, he took that role from Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones has always thrived um, based on touchdowns. He's always had huge bump weeks that rounded out him to a nice season finish because of touchdowns he got in this offense. Those kind of went away last year. He still finishes an RB1 um, through the passing work and the touchdowns he did get. But red zone handoffs was delegated to A.J. Dillon. He won that role last year. Um for fantasy, you didn't really get to notice it until later in the year when he finally patched together serviceable startable games because early season he was miserable. It was so tough to fit AJ Dillon into your lineup. It really was. But looking forward, I think there is a role for Dillon this offense. How high that ceiling is, I'm not sure. But could Dillon come in and be a low-end RB2? Sure. And at this cost, 204 in this class, I think it's really appropriate, especially because he's the last guy I have here before a huge drop-off a huge drop-off like i don't i don't i can't paint the picture for anyone left in this class to really be a staple starter in your lineup 
which is something really important to notice just looking forward to 2023 class. I know we have all these question marks about Jordan Love, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, A.J. Dillon. But when you're in this class and you have picks 201 to 204 and you have a, a need on your team and you're holding that pick to try to fill a need on your team, well, if you go look down there at the 2020 ADP and you see other names in there, and this was a very strong class, like Jalen Rager, Keyshawn Vaughn, Henry Ruggs, Denzel Mims, Zach Moss, LaVisca Chenault, Brian Edwards, like all these other names in this territory. Yeah, that 203 pick, I would be more inclined to go find a veteran who fills that team need, trade for that veteran, get off of the draft pick. I know we love it. We'd love to get guys right away, but you got to recognize the hit rates, the risk. And even if some players do hit, like a guy I'm sure we'll get to soon, like an Antonio Gibson, who seemed great at first, here we are three years later, and where is he? He's, he's not in the top 16. And he's not the player that I'm going to be taking here at 205, which is reluctantly Gabriel Davis. Um, that's where I'm going here. I think Gabe Davis, he's been casted away a little bit. Now he's finally he's outside the top 40 wide receivers into that wide receiver four territory, which is cool, uh, you know, comfortably in the wide receiver four territory, which is cool with me. I think this is a player who, as things are right now, still is the second option in a Buffalo Bills passing attack attached to Josh Allen. Will that correlate to top end production? Well, it didn't last year, but also Gabe Davis is a young player who was thrusted into a much larger role than he had handled in his first two years into the league. And he didn't capitalize, but I think he's the same player he was last year. As we said, he's still young. I think he can improve on what he did last year. And I think at his new cost, there's more reason to be intrigued than last year where he got catapulted into top 24. You got to go get this guy. He's the breakout. We saw, yeah, he was he was in there with conversations with Amon-Ra, and that blew up in some people's faces. But this new expectation, you know, as we mentioned with Swift, Ayuk, Cam Akers, it's all about expectation. And my expectation for Gabe Davis is he probably doesn't crank my lineup unless A, he puts it together and shows me some consistency, or B, I have a three wide receiver, two flex league, and he sits in my final flex spot as a player who hopefully can blow up for a big touchdown, which he is capable of doing. So Gabe Davis here slides in as my 205. Yeah, he finished as wide receiver 36. So he was a top, he was the top three wide receiver on a team, potentially, depending on how the build was. Something I wanted to just uh, illustrate real quick. If we look at what the ADP was for the 2020s, and we're looking at the drafts and potentially how we're going to fill it, basically you're gonna have about 75% of the guys, close to 75% of the guys be the same guys. But as we saw, we only got up to about 110 where we felt comfortable with the guys that we took. So as you're right about potentially trading that 203 for a veteran that's a little bit undervalued on the market, maybe better for builds depending on where you're at in the life cycle of your team. As well as with like uh, an AJ Dillon, we're finally, I shouldn't say finally, but for the first time, we're going to be seeing a Green Bay offense that isn't run by Aaron Rodgers in over 18 years, 16 years. Oh yeah, Some, uh, Long time. one of those one of those years. So basically, we could see a completely different offense that could be very run based, and AJ Dillon could have a much bigger role and have find much more success if they decide to have, let's say, they draft uh, a, a Washington and he becomes the sixth offensive lineman, and they just decide to ground and pound, run some RPO with with Love, and then take some deep shots down the field. There, there could be a completely different opportunity share when it comes to AJ Dillon. So it's a good risk. Yeah, and yeah, I, I didn't even notice that I stacked up the Green Bay players with Love and Dylan. Um, and obviously Jordan Love, I should have made the joke four picks ago, but we just know he's going to be the 
the Jets quarterback in about 15 years, right? Oh yeah, 2040. They're gonna trade. 2040 for is he's your quarterback, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, you kind of left me with some uh, interesting takes or <laughs> picks to take. Um, I know I'm your gonna, guy, man. Well, I'm I'm actually I'm gonna forego Gibson for my first pick because I want to highlight this player more, and it's Donovan Peoples Jones. Yep, that's your guy. I think he is a player that that can sustain in a top uh, 36 fashion. And I think it's going to be at a better price than a lot of us think when it comes to him being a good flex option where he can get to double digits. And like at 206, 207, I understand this is a redraft, but depending on what he costs in your league, it could cost less than this. And I think he might be worth taking a shot on because of the fact that we have Watson with more time in the offense, more familiarity with the wide receivers and their preferences and how they like to run the routes and the things they key on before the play, things like that. And I think it'll just build a better relationship. And I think that Peoples Jones is the one that's best in line to take advantage of all those opportunities. Yes, we have Cooper. Cooper will do what Cooper does. And the, and that is very good things when he can connect with his quarterback, but he'll also will take pressure off of Donovan Peoples Jones or create opportunities for Njoku, which then will give, a lot of single coverage or a lot of shaded coverage where they the maybe the safety's got to get over and there's going to be a window. And DPJ is a guy I want to take a risk on. My second pick at 207 is going to be AG just because of the opportunity that he may get back to the, the heights that he, he was at with wider, uh, running back 13 and running back 12 his first two years. He was running back 27 last year. So at some points, he's going to be serviceable. He'll most likely be a flex. It's really just going to depend on how that offense um chugs along they really didn't have a lot of um red zone looks or touches for the running backs whatsoever i believe it was like 49 on the season in total for rushes and i think it was 11 receptions just inside the red zone the 20 yard line so there wasn't very much in terms of 20 percent of the field they weren't even touching yeah antonio gibson i'm just i'm terrified of washington i'm terrified of the running back room for washington let me explain when Austin Eckler was announced, hey, trade me, I'm sure they'll figure out an extension. Washington was supposedly one of the teams to reach out. When there was teams interested in meeting up with Bijan Robinson, Washington was interested. Like they showed it last year when they drafted Brian Robinson, which where anytime you have a running back who isn't the guy, it's almost always worth taking that, you know, round three or four step. Granted, they take Brian Robinson a little earlier than that, but it's always worth taking that stab in potential replacement. It gives you leverage and Antonio Gibson. I don't think based on that pick based on other moves they've made based on what, you know, them inquiring on these veterans tells us, I don't think he's in their long-term plans and seeing the running back market, how it is for a lot of these guys who have had good points in their careers, like Kareem hunt or Damian Harris or Devin Singletary, where it takes three, four days until they get picked up and they get picked up for one year, $3 million deals. Like, um, what does the future look like for Antonio Gibson, right? This is a guy where we were really excited him back in the day. We thought he could be, we had him as high as RB, like six to eight in dynasty rankings to just two seasons ago, because he looked as promising as anyone. His size is, is great. His speed for that size is incredible. And he just didn't figure it out. Well, you know, early I gave all the excuses in the world for team expectation and where the team didn't end up being what we thought they were. We thought with a more stabilized defense and a good veteran quarterback, then Antonio Gibson would get an actual opportunity. Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. The defense completely fell apart and Antonio Gibson just 
never learned how to pick up third downs, run real routes, block, and therefore just hasn't cemented a role. And it's unfortunate where I think you get this guy in open space and he can take a ball 75 yards to the house as well as anyone in the NFL. But I don't think he gets a backfield to himself at any point in his career. It's disappointing seeing him this low at 207. I think is a fine pick, but they 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 really do worry me there in Washington. Uh, for Brian Robinson, people who love him, we'll get to him when we go back through the 2022 class. I would just be very cautious buying in on either of these players until the draft passes. Let's Let's let that happen because... I'm not sure that they don't go and take whether I'm not saying round one, but day two, like they did last year or early day three, bring in another guy to reinforce this competition. And that's not great for Antonio Gibson. I'm glad you took Donovan people. Jones. He's your guy from our uh, square scare prayers. We had Donovan people's Jones every week. We found ourselves. We're like, okay, how do we not take Donovan people? Jones or Adam <laughs> Thielen? All right, Tim, let's, let's go for someone else. You know, the play, early in the season with Jacoby Brissett, they were one of these teams that was had the highest running rush touchdown percentage in the league. And Donald people Jones just wasn't getting touchdowns, but the volume was there. The yardage was there. The efficiency was there. And that was with um, Amari Cooper balling out. So Donald people Jones really could just continue to be the wide receiver too. And if this offense gets better and they say they want to throw more, there could be a role for him. I mean, what, what that role is, I don't know. But back in the day, you know, like a Will Fuller type player had good stretches for Deshaun Watson. So I like to pick with Donald People Jones. That was that was a very good pick. Him or Gabe, I think, really. I mean, those two are part of a group of seven players I have here where I think you can really make the argument for any of them and because none of their situations are perfect. So I'll take the next two players off here. I just got to think which two Chicago Bears am I going to take? Because there's <laughs> the next three players for me are all Chicago Bears. Um, <laughs> it, it's a miserable experience, really, with this team. We don't know where the passing volumes could be next year. DJ Moore comes to town. Justin Fields finally has all the tools to succeed. They're patching up the offensive line, make or break season for him. Okay, well, we don't know exactly how this team is going to line up. Are we going to have? Chase Claypool go out and be the the split end of this team, or is that going to be where DJ Moore starts to, to live and Darnell Moody can come in and play flanker, or are they going to put Claypool out there, DJ Moore plays flanker, then Moody slides in as the slot type guy, or is it just going to be a thing where DJ Moore moves to the slot and three wide receiver sets, and Moody comes and we got to figure out that Moody or Claypool is going to be the guy in two two uh, wide receiver sets, and I don't know the answer, so. I guess we'll go with the player who's put up the better season and I'll go with Darnell Mooney as my first choice here, but completely, completely different players. I could see you making the argument for Chase Claypool. Um, and I guess I'll just lock in Chase Claypool as the other one. We'll take two and we'll hope one ends up with some value. Um, the other name, which we'll see if Tim takes or not, would have been Cole Komet, but Cole Komet with the, conversation between Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool, who's going to get volume from what's already seems limited for an unathletic tight end where they just added Robert Tunyon, who's a receiving tight end. Who's also because of his injuries, not that athletic. Uh, I don't know how, what the volume's going to look like. Uh, these tertiary options here in Chicago aren't really players. I'm overly excited for for dynasty. I a hundred percent agree with you. The problem is they're the next ones I'm in my rank and you took the wide receivers, which were the ones I wanted to at least play with meaning Mooney and you took him first, which hurts my feelings. So I, I, I got to go with Kamek. He's the next time I there we go. Now 
tight end seven last year, so he did prove a little bit. Like you said, though, they brought in Tanyan, which doesn't or Tanyan, which doesn't really solidify or give any sort of credence either way to how Komet's going to be impacted. This offense could be much better with fields and they could have more red zone opportunities, but that's not something I'm going to bank on or plan on. Just more or less, this is a risk on a tight end based on the lack of true opportunities at other positions when it comes to drafting players. So with that in mind, I'm going to take a shot on a guy that should have a better role this year based on a team losing a player, and that's going to be KJ Osborne. Now, he might not even have been someone that you considered back in 2020, and I understand he hasn't done very much of anything because of his limited role when he got on the team. He was interesting if you go back and and watch his performance. um, Before he was drafted, if you look back at his rookie tape, tape, he actually... um, Okay, I guess I can't select him because he's not on the list, but he was pretty dynamic, and uh, he handled a very big role at when he was in college. And I think that him coming in as a wide receiver two, potentially on this team, I think he can fulfill that role and he'll have some decent weeks when it comes to scoring touchdowns and having decent volume that when the defense starts to try to take away Justin Jefferson, that he could be the guy. Okay. Well, unfortunately I just want you to say the name again here for people. Uh, he wasn't in the list. Apparently he wasn't drafted in the top 58 through DLF ADP back in 2020. So <laughs> KJ Osborne here slides in as your two eleven. I uh, can't hate on it. What I do want to say with KJ Osborne is people are really excited. Oh, Adam Thielen's out. He's, he's flashed. He's going to step up. He'll be the wide receiver two for this team. And you got to remember what kind of a player KJ Osborne is. And he, doesn't seem like the type of guy to me who's going to be out there in two wide receiver sets anyway. Kind of plays out the slot there. He'll be the third guy in. And I would expect them to add depth at a piece who's going to play outside, whether it's OBJ late, who knows? Maybe it's a player like DJ Chark, who's still some who's still available. I think that's a really good fit for Minnesota. Absolutely. And I think KJ Osborne's role kind of sits where it is and is not a player that interests me at all in lineup setting leagues. If you play best ball, which the best place for best ball drafts is underdog fantasies creator B for a matchup to hundred dollars for first time users. He has those spike weeks just because of how good the offense is. And he's the third option. So when things get overlooked, he makes splash plays from time to time. It's really hard to predict unless there is an injury. So KJ Osborne is a fine pick here. It's kind of part of what is a very big tier drop off after Cole comment. I do have one player name who's sliding in. I'll give an honorable mention to Isaiah Hodgins, who I thought might slide in here as the final pick. He was my other option. I, as, I just went with what I thought was better upside. Sure. He, he kind of lost his, the only big man on the roster role to Darren Waller there, but I still think there is potential for Hodgins to make some plays. I like him there with the giants. Good opportunity for him, but two twelve. I'm going to take the very boring pick. I'm going to take Mr. 102 from this class, and I'll lock in Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, as the final pick we have here. This is a really interesting pick. Oh, man, how have the wheels fallen off? Clyde Edwards-Alaire seems to be destined for the Devin Singletary treatment, where not from a usage standpoint, but from a contract standpoint, where I think when his contract's done after this year, they obviously won't pick up that fifth year. He's going to, if he gets another contract, it's going to be like a one-year, $3 million type thing into a committee. So what is the future look for Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Not great. But if we're looking a one-year window, Kansas City plays a committee. They play a committee. I mean, in last year when he wasn't healthy, which he 
never has been. They played that committee where it was McKinnon for the passing downs and then Pacheco on first and second down. I know we love Isaiah Pacheco. He's a little, a little, a little rocket. Um, and people think that he can take a step forward. He's a committee back. He doesn't, he's not going to catch balls and it's going to be him and someone else, whether they bring in another name, they draft another name. That wouldn't surprise me, but for now, Clyde Edwards, Alaire is the other name on roster. They haven't brought McKinnon back. And if Clyde is healthy, it is quite an if. I think this is a guy who can give you some weeks, some spot starts. Remember early last season, he was not getting volume, but he was just getting these little shovel pass touchdowns. That could happen again. I mean, I'm not betting on it, but here we are. We're in a really, really open space in this draft. This class fell off. We said it fell off after that 204. It falls off 10 times harder after these Bears picks here. So uh, reluctantly, Clyde Edwards-Alaire rounds out the 2020 class. See if I can type in KJ for you just for a little optics. But, all right, guys, so we will move forward here into the 2021 class. Tim is going to start us off here. We are redrafting, for anyone who's tuning in just for this, we are redrafting the 2020 class, the 2021 class, the 2022 class, and then we're going to have a follow-up video where we go through, we draft the 2023 class, and talk about where all those players fall in amongst tiers derived from these three classes on one single big board. So currently, we're getting a draft underway, and then we'll set up that big board for that next draft. Tim, who is the 101 of the 2021 draft for Superflex? Oh, this is so hard. My heart says Chase. My head says Lawrence. <laughs> but I'm gonna I gotta go with I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with Chase here. The reason being I want as many game breaking, game changing players on my team. I understand Lawrence can do that as well, but Chase will do it on a more consistent week to week basis to give me those weak winning le- week winning weeks, excuse me where Lawrence may some weeks fall into an average quarterback um, performance, which really won't make that much of a difference on those weeks where uh, I'll get 40 from chase on a week or, you know, 35 from chase on a week. And it would make a a very big difference to winning and losing. Tim, I'm going to need you to back up and tell me here, because you took just one draft ago, Justin Herbert over Justin Jefferson. You're turning around and you're taking Jamar Chase here over yep. Trevor Lawrence. And I is there a take within that take about your no. feelings of Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence? Well, probably probably that way. I probably should have taken Jefferson over Herbert in the fact of that argument. But I feel like Herbert is a higher tier player compared to Lawrence when it comes to fantasy, for at least throughout what we've seen for actual yearly performances so far. Like I said, it's possible that Lawrence has those really big weeks, especially because he does offer some of the rushing floors, which will give you some opportunities for touchdowns. But I feel much safer with a Chase versus a Lawrence, whereas a Herbert versus a Jefferson could be more of a toss-up. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is just a fun conversation. I have mm-hmm. Justin Herbert and Justin Jefferson, same tier, and it's the same tier I have Jamar Chase and Trevor Lawrence and all four of those players I have in the same tier somewhere between 
105 to 108 in your startup Superflex draft. It could be any of those names. I really don't have a problem with it. And there's one other player who's in this tier. You made my life super easy here. <laughs> I remember go. back in the day, it was crazy. We, here in our circle, here at JWB, we were arguing, is it Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? That's kind of where we sat. The ADP to walk you guys through what ended up being Trey Lance at that 102 spot following Trevor Lawrence. And then it was Justin Fields, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Najee Harris, Zach Wilson, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Mac Jones rounding out the first, and then Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Trey Sermon, Terrace Marshall, Rondell Moore, Michael Carter, Kadarius Tony, Amonra St. Brown, Dami Brown, Amari Rogers, Kenneth Gainwell, and Pat Fryermuth. Another really strong draft class. Oh man, have we been spoiled? We're feeling the residuals of people's eval on draft picks now as a result of it. Um, but I'll take Trevor Lawrence here at 102. I think this is for me, you could argue the quarterback five in dynasty i mean this team's getting better the offense did really really well last year trevor lawrence stepped up after thanksgiving you could have argued he was the best quarterback in football i wouldn't hate you on that he played as well as anyone in the nfl you know from there until the end of the season obviously what he did in the second half of that playoff game will completely ignore the first half it was it was phenomenal and you're adding calvin really this offense that brought evan ingram back um it's a good team. It's a good offense. I really like Peterson. I think Trevor Lawrence is exciting. He doesn't have necessarily that rushing that the next player, Justin Fields, has. But with an offense, we expect to score a couple more touchdowns. I really like Trevor Lawrence. I really think he is a cornerstone asset for your dynasty teams. I'm really happy with what he gave us this last season because him and Justin Fields, my one-on-three pick, I was eating them both up in the third round last year, and I'm so glad I did, where... They, they slipped a little bit for different reasons for both of them. It really ended up being great value. With Justin Fields, obviously, there was a big trade recently. They moved that first pick. They picked up DJ Moore, pick nine, uh, two seconds on top of it. It, it, was, it was a really great trade for Chicago. Definitely won that trade. But DJ Moore, I mean, I had him as my wide receiver 20 for Dynasty before the trade. I had him as wide receiver 20 after. If you want to go back and look at our 2020 video, where we drafted the top 24 you see there, we talked through Darnell, Mini, Claypool, Komet, and potential limitations with this passing offense and our concerns with volume. So all those guys might have been losers just because of the new pieces here for Chicago. But one player who's absolutely a winner is Justin Fields. This is a prove-yourself year, Justin. You have nothing standing between you and greatness now. Well, maybe an offensive line, but they're working on it. <laughs> and... And Justin's weapons are phenomenal. I really, really like his opportunity. He showed game-breaking ability with his legs, even better than Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts at times on the ground, which is crazy to say, but breaking away big touchdowns. This guy could break fantasy football and getting him and Trevor Lawrence on the same team. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'd be stoked too. I agree with you. And the thing is, I don't even – I did pick Chase first, but there's no hate over here for – for Lawrence or for Fields, I'm same I'm tier, on the boat. same tier, I'm, all three. So I'm running with them on the same boat. So I'm with you. Um, for 104, it can get interesting depending depending on how you want to build your squad. For rookie drafts, I was not pro Pitts. I think he was a great player. I think that he should carry good dynasty value. I'm not taking him here. Just kind of bringing up the fact that there's certain. There's certain ways in which you can value players that may not end up benefiting your team by doing so. 
But for this case, it actually is pretty easy for me just based on both the value and the performances that I'm getting from these players. The first one I'm going to be going with, I'm going to be going with Jalen Waddle. Hmm. He's one of my personal favorites, and he's the way he plays will always produce a nice floor for you as well as a pretty decent ceiling, which gives you good fantasy finishes as well as weekly finishes. And then I have to decide between Devontae Smith and Amon Ross St. Brown. And for me, I'm going Devontae Smith because I think we've seen the best performances out of Amon Ross St. Brown that we're going to see. Not in a bad way. I just think the team gets better. There's more opportunity or there's more there's more players that are going to be deserving of opportunities. It's going to get more spread out. He's still going to be a good player. I just don't think he's going to be having those, you know, 15 target games all the time. And I think that's going to impact his ceiling. He's still going to have a floor and it's still going to be a good one. I, I just think that Devontae Smith is coming into his own. He's on a better, he's on a better team um, with an offense. I understand that the Bears offense was very high level last year and they were, I believe, third in touchdowns. So they did score a lot. But I think that the consistency that the Eagles can offer with Jalen Hurts locked in for a much longer time, them having building that, you know, that chemistry and the history over time, I think that Devontae Smith is going to take over in terms of better performances both seasonally and weekly when it comes to comparison with Amon Ross St. Brown. Love, love it. Love the two picks here. We all knew you meant Lions, not Bears for top touchdowns. Oh my God, yes. Just making that very clear here. And I do agree with you. We might have seen the best weeks from Amon Ross St. Brown, but I think next year there might still be a little bit of that transition. I think he still gets fed for points. I think long-term that argument is great. You might not be seeing, you know, 160 targets every single year. And without those that volume, he's not the most dynamic athlete to give you big weeks regardless, unless if he has some touchdown fairness. But with this being an offense that's scoring touchdowns, I still love Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he's a top 12 wide receiver in every single format, and it could change, but I'm really excited if I have Amon Ross St. Brown on my team. I'll happily take him at 106 here. Devontae over him is a little spicy, but it's not crazy. You're not the only person over here at JWB who has Devontae Smith this high. My hope here was that you would take Kyle Pitts so I don't have to make this decision, which is <laughs> really team-based. I think with, with with Kyle Pitts, you're still painting that picture, right? He is a difference maker. He's basically a wide receiver. He's got the He's got the athleticism of Darren Waller, but the size and end zone potential of Jimmy Graham. Like this is this is the ultimate tight end prototype. Kyle Pitts is going to break fantasy football. We've yet to see it. I still love Kyle Pitts. I still think he's a cornerstone asset for your team from the tight end perspective. It would take a lot to get him off my team. But when I'm going to acquire him, I'm way more passive because if you get Kyle Pitts and he doesn't pop off in the way we want him to, you're just wait. Your your team is just waiting to get rolling. You're waiting. You need once Kyle Pitts hits, it's all guns a blazing. But until he does, we're just kind of in this waiting period. And does it happen next year? I mean, they brought in the quarterback competition right now. It's either going to be an uninspiring veteran that they just signed or Desmond Ritter, which is really capped this team is brought they brought in mac hollins they brought in Janu. they have so many big boys between him london when you have all these big wide receivers and quarterbacks who aren't necessarily the most accurate or have the biggest arms it screams run heavy to me 
This this team next year, especially with Arthur Smith and everything we know from him and how he loves to play football, is going to run the freaking ball. And I don't know what the ceiling looks like for Kyle Pitts. I don't know if he gives you that tight end one we're all hoping season next year. We might have to wait another year until they figure out quarterback situation. And uh, I'm not sure even if they're in a position at eight and they take Levis, that that is the answer we want at this point either. So for Kyle Pitts, my fears are that you're going to be waiting one more season. So I'm going to make you guys wait one more pick before you see Kyle <laughs> Pitts come off. And I'm going to lock in Travis Etienne here, <laughs> who is just pairing nicely with my Trevor Lawrence pick. I think the Jaguars are going to be a really fun offense next year. I'm having a really hard time at this point in the offseason trying to wrap my head around what I think the distribution of targets is going to be amongst Angram, Zay, Ridley, Kirk, and what that's going to look like. But one thing that is for certain is Travis Etienne is the primary back. I still think they could bring in a bruiser. I think they could bring in a big guy who could take some of the workload off of him. I think that'd be probably good for him as long as they're not pulling some Jamal-type behavior where they're going to fall down on the one-yard line and give it to not Travis Etienne 47 times next year. So Travis Etienne, I think at this point, he's as good of a shot as any young back to slide into top five running back value, which – Managers in a lot of your leagues, a lot of softball leagues as well, love those backs. I mean, when you have a young back who's performing as an RB1, he's got top five running back dynasty value. Well, that's a top three round pick here. And if that's not going to change going into the next year. So as long as he's healthy and he puts up performances similar to how he did last year, I would have liked to have seen more of a stretch from Travis Etienne. I, I think he's he's really safe here. Uh, you could go him or Pitts. I think that decision would probably come down to team need. I would have said the same thing with Devonta Smith because those three don't put me on the clock in a startup draft with those three names as my three left in the tier. I'm going to have a meltdown because it comes down to team need. Uh, I think you can make the argument for all three. And with an existing team, you'll know which of the three makes more sense for your team. But I'm going to leave Kyle Pitts for you. Hopefully you take him. He's the last player I have here in the second <laughs> tier of players. <laughs> So, oh, you made me take them. I'm just kidding. I want to say real quick that none of this is an indication on how we feel about Kyle Pitts, the player, because I think he is amazing. But the, the thing I want to illustrate is no matter how good you feel about a tight end, you don't know his role in the NFL. You have no idea the amount of usage he's going to get or exactly how they're going to use him. Yes, he got a thousand yards as a rookie, but what did that come out to as the second year? There were people telling you to take him as the 101 or 102 in startups because of the positional value. And as Skylar said, your teams are sitting there and they're waiting and they're waiting. All you're doing is your other assets that you've acquired to compete with Kyle Pitts are getting older. Kyle Pitts, yes, he's very young. His window is huge, but the windows of other players are not as long. So it's only going to, it would only hurt your team if you would have followed that advice. It's just that very many tight ends are very hard to predict when it comes to how they're going to perform in the NFL. Yeah, that if being he's, said, if, if he's available for a discount and you are a rebuilding team, inquire on that discount. But if you were like trying to win the championship next year, I'm not spending two firsts to go get Kyle Pitts. I'm going to spend uh, one first and go get. Dallas Goddard. I'm going to spend a second go get Darren Waller. I'm going to go get someone who has just as much of a chance to finish as a top six tight end next year, but doesn't break the bank. I'm going to spend three fourths and go get myself Tyler Higby. Uh, <laughs> he he had a bunch of targets last year. 
think you can have like, you can have him off my team for for a couple of dollars. But I get you. I had a necessity with the Rams. Anytime you're force feeding Tower Higby, yeah. you're in a really rough spot. Who you got at 109 here, Tim? Okay, so 109. There, there's a couple of ways you go with this. If you're chasing QB value, or if you're looking at top performers, or um, this would be really easy if Javante had not gotten hurt. But I'm going to go with Najee because I think he was injured last year, and I think that he's going to provide you with much better performances this year. We did a roundtable, and we talked about him, and we talked about Cam Makers and how they were in points per game and basically <laughs> running back 40 territory. I don't expect that again for Najee. I think that this he's going to have a much better season. I'm not a big fan of Pickett, but I think that he can help Nashi can help keep the offense on schedule, which should give him opportunities to score touchdowns, which he's proven to be very prophetic at. And I think that that's only going to buoy his, his value as well as provide you pretty decent weeks at the running back position. So I think, yeah, yeah, Najee's Najee's going to be my pick here. Yeah. Najee Harris earlier into the season was a player that I was, I was really liking buying in on because managers were, you couldn't get a first for Najee Harris at a point in last season. And I agree with Tim. They announced just weeks before the season started that he had a Liz Frank and was going to play through it. An injury that kept Travis ETN out for the whole year. If Najee Harris hadn't played football last year, he would be a top eight dynasty running back in a lot of people's rankings and he's outside of the top 12 in most people's now that's pretty interesting for me i think it probably falls somewhere into the middle right where Najee harris is still just he's just a fine player i don't think he's the most talented running back in the league but he's good at just about everything i mean he's he's inefficient sure but his size is good he's good in the red zone he can catch dump offs is he prolific at any of those skills no but he can do them all really well on a team that is one of the rare franchises left that utilizes bell cows, and he gets that bell cow usage. So with Najee Harris, he gets the volume. And for that reason, I think, yeah, he was the clear 109 here. He was the very first player of this tier here for me. And you're leaving me a decision between do I let Javante slide back to you at 112 or not? I think Javante Williams is a headache asset um, where – you are kind of waiting. I think he could be even slower than J.K. Dobbins type coming back. I know they brought Smarja P. Ron. That's a go-by-low target if I've ever seen one. I think he could have really solid production potentially for the whole year, but especially the first eight weeks to really set you up nice to figure your team out for the playoffs. And they might still bring in another back to kind of help there. That's to be seen. But I think P. Ron played well enough when Mixon was out last year to get a shot at that at that role. So with Javante, I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't know if he's going to be great coming back. And then when he does come back, there's always a situation where he's still just part of a committee and elite in a committee because that's what he's done since high school. Everywhere he's been, like with UNC, he was with Michael Carter. He came into the league. He was with Melvin Gordon. Like even last year, we didn't get to see Javante really eat up a backfield by himself and be that bell cow that we think he could behave really well on and now even if he does get it um he's coming off every single knee injury you could have at the same time so i have a lot of words for javante williams so i think he's a fine player he's kind of a top 12 ish dynasty running back de facto just because there's such a gap between veterans and an influx of talent that we aren't bought in completely in on yet we don't know where they're going so i'm gonna pass on javante i know i just went on a little rant i'm gonna lean for tim um 
Tim can give his quick little two cents when he takes them. But I will take I'll take Trey Lance here just because of the potential upside. I think with a quarterback, we talk about how key they are for Superflex. And with Trey Lance, this guy's so raw. He just needs time. He needs experience. He needs to play. And it probably helps his case that Brock Purdy, who they really like and is staying around, will not be there for probably the first two months. So I think Trey Lance gets the go. And if he gets hurt or it's just complete hot garbage, they've got the ultimate hot garbage backup now with Sam Darnold there, who I think is actually a good fit. Hilariously enough, there were years back when they lost the Super Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo, where there was this hot takey, but everyone was stealing and recycling the same hot take that if the Niners had Sam Darnold, they would have won that Super Bowl. And it's just funny now to see Sam Darnold there uh, to push Trey Lance for this starting job. But I think Trey Lance will win it and get an opportunity to start the season. He's got all the weapons in the world, like we were talking with with, with Justin Fields, getting all these weapons. Uh, Trey Lance has even better weapons. I, he's not the runner that those other backs are. Hopefully he can give you 25, 30 yards on the ground and hit touchdowns at an above-average league rate because that, that would give him a lot of value in Superflex. That would make him a fringe QB1. Um it would be what we got from Brock Purdy last year with a little bit of rushing. And we've seen a lot of quarterbacks who we don't regard as even above average, have above average touchdown rates in San Francisco to really run well-run offense. So Trey doesn't need to be fantastic to give you dynasty value. And if he's rolling and they're winning games, I know Brock hasn't lost a game technically in the regular season as a starter yet. I would be surprised if they move from Trey, especially because of all the value they put in. They should have just sat put at nine and taken Mac Jones back in the day, but that's a conversation for a different one. So Trey Lance there, 110 is my pick. It is probably the most upside here, but again, he could also be a backup quarterback in about a month, so we'll see. And then I'm going to take Ramondre Stevenson. This is the controversy. Him or Javante, it's a whole conversation, but what I get with Ramondre is a fantasy community that is excited. Right, I came out on Twitter last week and said, if your favorite running back's team went out and signed a player for negligible money, one year, $3 million, you should be excited. I don't care who it is. If you believe in the talent, they should be beating out those players for the lead role. I said this with Khalil Herbert. If you were in on Khalil Herbert, I don't think one year, $3 million to Deontay Foreman should scare you. You should be excited because the alternatives are way worse. They could spend day one or day two draft capital on a back. They could go out and get a big name. Um, so if they can't beat out those players, they probably weren't meant to be an elite fantasy asset anyway. I'm not saying that I don't like Deontay Foreman or that I love Khalil Herbert. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I am just saying if you love a player, that's a good situation to be in. And Ramondre Stevenson survived the offseason. They brought in James Robinson as his kind of partner here, which is a curious mix because they kind of do the same thing except James Robinson fell off at doing it last year Ramondre while being inefficient inefficient at times like Najee Harris did really well in that role and he caught passes I don't think he'll catch as many dump offs as he did last year I don't think they were anticipating James White to be out right away or retire or whatever happened there but Ramondre Stevenson I really like it I think he is a, a big winner and I think he has a lot of resale value here I don't even know if James Robinson makes this team it was two years eight million yes but the guarantees weren't there 
And they're like the Alabama of the NFL where they redshirt all their backs. They bring them in and they sit for they sit for a year. Madre sat for a year. He came in a rotation. Pierre Strong did the same thing. He might be a better complement to Ramondre Stevenson than James Robinson. I think Pierre Strong, if people see the James Robinson addition and they leave him to outcast, go throw forth for Pierre Strong because that might be a player who carves out a role on this team. Uh, maybe even Kevin Harris gets play if Ramondre goes down over a James Robinson. He'd be more the guy to come play Ramondre's role just as a big body. So, uh, yeah, Ramondre here, 111. It's my pick. Never thought I'd be picking him because as a rookie, I thought he ran through quicksand. I thought he was fat, but he really toned down last year. He ran better, and he took a big step up. So credit to him. I'm taking Ramondre. Yeah, Ramondre toned down and uh, like in terms of body size, but kept the violence. So I'm with you. I was really hoping that he would fall to me. Not going to lie. I think he smashes this year. The only way he doesn't is if he gets hurt or if Pierre takes over way a really big role in the passing game. And I, like I said, I think don't expect it. As long as Armandre has the role, I think he's going to smash. And the red shirt, a lot of it has to do with the, they want their backs to be able to play special teams. So you have to ask yourself, can uh, Robinson play special teams? Because no. if he can't, most likely he, like you said, he might be an easy cut. He, he, this may just be more of like a Jets offense or Jets infiltration to get information and then get rid of them, which we've seen Patriots do before. And you're right about Trey Lance. He's not as dynamic of a runner as everyone thinks. His footwork is, isn't that great in the pocket either. So I think he just has an overall foot placement, eye placement issue when it comes to him performing. But I agree with you on the upside with the offense as well as if he can actually take over that job. You'd have to be really bad not to be able to play in terms of starting, but we'll see. Um, there is risk there, but I think the risk at 110 is pretty cheap. And because I said I would take Javante if he wasn't injured, I'm going to finish off the first round taking Pat Fryermuth. Come on. Can't can't argue with uh can't argue with tight end 13 and tight end eight finishes. Now in a startup, I will I will recognize that Javante Williams is worth more than Pat Fryermuth. But when it comes to building a squad, I don't really want to take on the injury risk that Javante has. So I, I would be looking to acquire trade back, acquire more picks because like you said, he might be out the whole year and that wouldn't surprise me at all. And I'm a huge Javante fan, but I am not taking on any more injury risk in terms of when I'm acquiring new players in right. at, at certain draft positions. Now, Based on the players remaining, you can argue him. He's my he's my RB sixteen, so he's not out of my ranks. But there's a big difference when it comes to trading and acquiring to when you already own the asset. So I have actually a tier here that I'm trying to decide which way I want to go with. Um, I could go with a different running back that could be taking on a bigger role this year, or a wide receiver I think is underrated. It's got to be Javante. But yeah, I think I got to stick with Javante. I'm just I'm I'm doing the mental gymnastics inside my head. We don't we don't plan uh, these out before we record, so I'm a little bit just kind of live reacting. And yeah, I, I do like think I, said, I really I like Javante with just, startup value though. Like Javante Williams is just a better overall asset than Pat Fryermuth. Maybe that's just like a team need thing where you can't sit around and wait the year in Javante. You want to lock in Pat Fryermuth. The one comment I'll say on Pat Fryermuth where he's he's fantastic. He's very safe as like a low end tight end one moving forward um, in a team that historically <laughs> has utilized a tight end, especially in the red zone. I think Pat Fryermuth is fantastic, but. The caution I want to say with drafting tight ends in startup or sorry, in rookie drafts is 
Pat Frymuth was going, we had, you see below, he was going at 212. And right now, if you're going to try to move Pat Frymuth, he goes maybe what, like 201, 112, 201. The jump there versus, you know, potentially like Amonris and Brown, or you look at other players where the value that they could potentially gain post-draft after a good first season is so much higher. Where on the flip, if you don't perform great as a rookie, which the majority of them don't, you look at a guy like Trey McBride last year, who was going 201, 202. And then, or actually he was going, you can see right on there, he was going 210. I mean, and now you're not getting him for even that. And it's like, well, he flashed and the opportunity wasn't there. We knew it was probably going to be a year without Trey McBride performing and Manners get impatient. They get impatient on tight end. And it's just for that reason, I tend to not want to draft them, especially in the first round uh, or early second. I think late second is where you can start the conversation. I think if Michael Mayer is there, 205, 206, it's a no-brainer. I think if Don Kincaid, Donald Washington, they're 211, 212, we got to see where they land. It's a fine pick. It's a good pick. Um, but I'm not one of these people who's going and taking Michael Mayer at 107 or one of these people who's going out and taking Dalton Kincaid 201. A lot of picks I've seen in some of our mock drafts just because what is your ROI potential? I mean, if they hit and you need a tight end, great. You won, I guess. But when we're playing a value game, tight ends just don't really gain a whole lot. And when you're taking them at the rookie draft in that spot and the highest I can go in market is basically where you drafted them, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't love drafting tight ends. I would much rather pass on Dalton Kincaid, and then when he isn't a tight end one in his rookie year, go and try to buy him going into year two or later on, or just handpicking someone else who makes sense. I absolutely agree with you. Um, I like I, I absolutely agree with you. I'm only doing this because I know what Fryermuth is in terms of what he formed, but I, yeah take make your tight end risk be your third and fourth round picks love trade that. up if someone falls or even post rookie draft throw two three tight ends on your taxi squad you, you probably yeah. will get one taxi squad is where i live for tight ends yeah. like i'll collect late force and just take stabs the amount of teams yeah. i had last year that had chica conquo bellinger uh and likely just sitting on my taxi yep was so many of them and the thing with like running back right you take a back let's say like a Pierre Strong, just as I just remembered him, or a different class, maybe like an Elijah Mitchell, and you just put him on your taxi squad. Well, the problem is if you do ever, you're taking a back there that late because it's just circumstantial. If a running back gets hurt, the opportunity could be great for them. That's what you're looking for with those late RB stabs, which is fine. I'm not saying not to take those running backs in the third and fourth round because that's where you take them. I actually don't love wide receivers in rounds three, four. The hit rates are so low. I'd rather just take running backs who could fall into circumstance. But for my taxi squad, if one of those running backs do go down and now I have a running back who can plug into my lineup, potentially I have to move them out of my taxi spot, Absolutely. which involves cutting a player or making a trade. And I don't love that. We're tight ends. I mean, I had Chica Conco when he hit, he was a big, big hit last year. Um, well him or Greg Dulcich or Jelani Woods, they just stayed in my taxi and I can move them off for year two because even when Greg Dulcich, you're like, yeah, we got a player here. We got a, we, we got a player who's kind of on that Pat Fryer muth, hopefully kind of train. He wasn't like a must start. You know, it wasn't a player where you were losing the value of drafting him where you did because he's staying on your taxi. He's fine. He's just sitting there ready for the next year. I presume you have other options at tight end. Even if you were playing a lesser option, the point differential between tight end nine and tight end 16 on a week is marginal. So 
I love, I love that call to take the tight ends that are athletic or in good landing spots in the third, fourth rounds of your rookie draft and then put those guys on your taxi. I love it. So Agreed. one more thing though, one more yeah. thing though, I want to say about that is I'm in a, a league that starts two tight end and I took over an orphan that was absolutely terrible. I think one of the best ways, if your league supports in terms of the value of a tight end, that in, even in, in rebuilds, it's actually way more beneficial to do that, to keep the control where you have players on your taxi that you're not taking off. Because when you take a guy off of taxi and you have to cut someone, you're losing control. You're losing that whole, even off-season clock of control of a, an extra player, an extra asset on your team. Where if you're looking at a multi-year rebuild, maybe flooding your taxi squad full of tight ends, staying not as good, if that makes any sense, and having a higher draft pick that next year, is just as beneficial because you might have just locked in one or two tight ends, didn't cost you anything, didn't impact your roster whatsoever because they're on the taxi squad. And you're able to still um, basically cross off a whole position that you've just found already. And you can focus on quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and it costs you nothing. Yeah, I will say also in two tight end or tight end premiums, I'm not reaching on tight ends because of the format. I'm just more inclined to prioritize those players when I'm looking for like little cherry on tops to throw into trades or for those third, fourth round dart throws that I'm going to put in my taxi. I'm prioritizing tight end. I'm going to take as many. I'm going to take the shotgun approach where I'm just shooting and spraying and praying and hope one or two of them hits, and then I can end up with a nice little committee to give me that depth. I'm not going and reaching. I'm not taking Dallas Goddard in round five because it's a tight end premium. I'm not taking one of these lesser tight ends. I'm not taking Pat Fryermuth um, in his respective draft class on that year suddenly at 110 because I need a tight end. It's just, it's um, I'm not doing it. So 202. I got two players in this tier. You know, you took Pat Fryermuth who happened this tier. I got two players here. Um, I'm going to start with the one I would take first in a startup draft because it's still a player I believe in. I'm going to take Rashad Bateman. I think this is a player who was kind of just delegated to a, a deep threat last year. He was efficient, unsustainably so, and then fell into a lot of injuries. I'm hoping with the new coaching staff there on the offensive side of the ball that they're going to use Rashad Bateman, who's seemingly right now is the only wide receiver there. Uh, I'm going to hope that they use him more as the dynamic well-rounded player we thought he could be coming out of college he had question marks about his work ethic his motor that kind of stuff coming into the league at times he was just he just didn't have that engine we wanted and maybe that maybe it's just not that guy right but i think with baltimore still we don't know what's going on with lamar jackson but if he's there it's not a problem for me the problem is the way he was used and then health right he came in his rookie year he didn't play the first half of the year Last year, he didn't play basically the whole year. So a lot of managers are really soured. But Rashad Bateman with a full season, hopefully as like his team's wide receiver one. I don't think he's a wide receiver one in the NFL. I think there's a lot of rebound potential there. And I think if Rashad Bateman, so many questions, one of the most popular questions we've gotten in the Discord, but you can always come in if you have a question for trades. It's in the description. Is Rashad Bateman or like 202, Rashad Bateman or 112, Rashad Bateman or 201. You get the point for this year's class. I answer Rashad Bateman every time because those other players right now, we don't know where they're going. Like people like Flowers, Downs, Jalen Hyatt as wide receivers kind of in that range. You don't know where they're going to go. You don't know if they're going to go in round two of the draft. And Bateman was a round one wide receiver, and we know where he is. He's with a league MVP as the number one guy on his team. They're trying out Nelson Aguilar this week, which seems like the most 
Baltimore pick ever, like him, Deshaun Jackson. You get these guys who are just these burners, or kind of like I feel like with Hollywood Brown, the biggest knock was his hands dropping balls. So that's Aguilar's specialty. So he, hopefully, he can come in and be the deep ball guy or a player like him. And then Rashad Bateman can get used in other ways as like a legit X for that team. So I like Rashad Bateman a lot. I think he is a sneaky buy player if your league is soured on him. And then 203, this is tremendous value. I'm taking Mac Jones. Uh, this is a boring pick. This is like kind of in that Derek Carr train where is Mac Jones ever going to finish higher than quarterback 13 to 24? No. So am I going to take him at like 110 where we took Trey Lance? No, because he's never going to win me my league. But quarterbacks, that's not to completely take away from him because in Superflex, quarterbacks who can give you just that safe QB2 floor or be that reserve your third quarterback on your roster that you can always feel good and confident when you have to plug them in because of an injury or a bye week. There's a lot of value there. And with Mac Jones too, I think he's a better quarterback than given credit for. He, I mean, when he, his back was hurt and he kind of played through it and the team wasn't playing well, he got a lot of criticism. It didn't help Bailey Zappi came in and looked okay, but Bailey Zappi is not better than Mac Jones. Mac Jones gets to read one, read two, read three, read four. Earlier when we talked Trey Lance, I said, then I should have sat put and taken Mac Jones because I think he's a lot better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he is the perfect quarterback for a system that just needs you to get it to the playmakers, get it into their hands. And New England doesn't have a single playmaker. They don't have anyone where you can just get the ball quick into their hands. Where you're going to get it to one, the one leg Devonta Parker has. That's the player that Mac Jones has to feed the ball to. Okay, you got him. Tyquan Thornton. This is a glorified special teamer, and you took him in the second round. Mac Jones just hasn't really been set up to succeed, in my opinion. I think he's a starter in this league. Uh, it'd be really a shame if New England gives up on him or he doesn't get the opportunity in that window where people want to see these these quarterbacks take a step up. Uh, but I like Mac Jones for my squads. He goes like round 10 of Superflex startup drafts. A lot of times that comes around as my QB3. If I have my team set, I've got some picks, a couple extra um, darts in the ready to go. Mac Jones is a fine player to add. If managers just see him as completely boring, I'll, I'll take him. I'll take Mac Jones. I don't hate Mac Jones. I think he serves a role on my team. I just don't think he's a league winner by any means. But give this guy DeAndre Hopkins, and I think he's a little safer of a QB2 option for your team. I just would like to see Mac Jones with some actual weapons. I love these two picks. I think Bateman is forever underrated. Um, his first four weeks of the season, he put up two duds and two pretty good weeks, uh, multi double digits. But one of the weeks that he put up a dud, he had two opportunities at two separate touchdowns he didn't catch. So three or four weeks before he gets injured, he's hitting double digits. This is a way different perception of what Bateman is. And I think Bateman is a huge buy right now. KTC wide receiver 37. Mac Jones is my biggest buy of the offseason. If I were to give anybody advice, it would be to buy Mac Jones, especially if he only costs you a second round pick or close to that equivalency. Well, he was look QB at a guy like Derek Carr that we talked about. Like, what have we always said about Derek Carr or even Kirk Cousins, who's a better version, is there's going to be, we said this when Mac Jones was drafted when he was going 110, where we were saying, don't take Mac Jones 107, 108. There will always be windows on these. Boring QB2s where just people leave them for dead. They go outside of the top 20 backs. Go back on our channel and look up Mac Jones from when we were talking about him in 2021. This is exactly what we said. When you hit an offseason where he's outside the top 20 quarterbacks, you get him for a second, go buy him. Do you know how many teams where I had Derek Carr as my quarterback three because I was able to get him for that same cost? And then, and then 
We have all the Aaron Rodgers BS going on. Deshaun Watson misses two years. And suddenly Derek Carr was a pivotal part of my team. When everyone sees that I'm out Deshaun Watson, it wasn't easy to fill quarterback. When I just but when I already had Derek Carr just sitting as my QB three because I just picked him up in off seasons where he went outside the top 20 in cost, that's a great buy. And Mac Jones kind of falls into that for me. I just yeah, I I, I think it's a great player to target this offseason. I agree. And he was QB 23 and he missed three games. So you might see the overall rank where he went down from 18 to 23, but there's a lot of context missing. That offense was pretty shit. And I don't really think it was uh, Mac all on Mac Jones. So there aren't like a lot said, of quarterbacks who finished top 18 in their first year of opportunity as well. Like I went back last year and I studied every quarterback in their first season of opportunity when they played, got at least five of them. And I would see who finished top 18, throw them out of the sample set. And everyone who finished outside the top 18, I was analyzing when they would quote recover or become fantasy relevant to see what hit rates on those quarterbacks are. Mac Jones is one of those quarterbacks who didn't even qualify for the sample because he was good as a rookie. He played in the pro bowl. I know that's a kind of a joke to how he played this year, but he played good enough. Quarterback 18 as a rookie is nothing to sneeze at. And you can never have too many quarterbacks. And if they don't cost you premium assets to go and acquire, it's a no-brainer. Like, what are you missing out on? Like, let's look back. Two hundred three can't make. If Mac Jones loses a starting a job for some reason, he will a hundred percent be a backup. He'd be an elite backup. There's a guy at Bama who showed he can get through all his reads. I mean, people, I've never heard players criticize him. All that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mac I'm Jones would be phenomenal as a backup. I think he's a starter for sure. I'm just giving further context. If he were to lose it, if you spend a second on him and he loses the job, okay, he's a backup. And then what? Let's say he gets a chance to start a game. The going rate for backup quarterbacks when someone gets hurt is usually a second. So it's pretty safe. And even if he, I think personally, I believe that even if he were to leave New England, he would get another shot with the team for sure. Um, for my next two picks, they're kind of upside risk picks. Like the first one I'm going to take is Khalil Herbert, just based on the uh, the fact that we lost or they lost uh, David Montgomery. And the projection is that he's going to get this role. I think it's possible that they bring in competition. I know they've signed some backs, but they're not really needle movers in my opinion. I know there's potential opportunities for them to produce points, but I don't think it's on a full scale, huge level. So I think he's pretty interesting when it comes to him scoring touchdowns in the red zone, things like that, because you get a couple touchdowns on, on a week and you're looking at, you know, top seven or so could be higher than that performances. And that can be very game changing or week changing for you. And I think the, for me, I can't let go of this player. I'm going to hold on. The dream's still alive. I'm going Elijah Moore. Yeah, man. Those are my two names. So he's just Elijah Moore to me is just too special of a wide receiver. He's shown enough to where he should be effective and efficient on an offense. It just isn't an offense with Zach Wilson because Zach Wilson is not for the jets. Their jets offense is a very much a timing offense. And Zach Wilson is more of a read react player. He's not a fit for this offense. He may get a spot or a chance to show it somewhere else. But when it comes to a, a an offense where you just got to drop back, hit your steps, and then fire the ball, Wilson, or Wilson is not has shown he's not good enough of a pre-snap read player um, to read the defense well enough to know exactly where he should be going with the ball or even that 
where the placement should be hasn't been very good because that's where a lot of his interceptions come from. So I think that a player that comes in that's able to read the defense very well pre-snap, understand where the ball's supposed to go and deliver it um, very accurately. I think there's a quarterback that that fits <laughs> those requirements that may come to New York. Is it Jordan Love? You know, it in might 2040. be in 2040. <laughs> 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 but I think with the quarterback upgrade, you're gonna you're gonna see. A positive impact on the offense. I cannot say for certain it's going to be Elijah Moore. That would be dumb of me to do that. But I think he would be one of the guys that could be a very big beneficiary of a new quarterback. Uh, the Alan Lazard signing gave me a freaking headache. So I was on Mock Monday so live stream with, with Coop. Uh, and it's Cooper here with Fantasy Alarm, Better Network. And we were talking we were talking the Jets and like what makes sense if Aaron's going to come. Like why bringing in OBJ or Thielen or... Lazard just doesn't really make sense. And the reason was Corey Davis is a much better real life player than a fantasy player. And he, he blocks really well. He's that perfect player opposite of a player like Garrett Wilson. And then you bring in, they pay the highest paid wide receiver in this free agent class, Alan Lazard to come in and he, he's going to play the Corey Davis role. You gave him that money. He's playing that role. So Corey Davis's contract, they can convert some stuff, and it's not an expensive cut. We'll see if they trade him. Or the reason it ties into Elijah Moore, well, Corey Davis played half his snaps in the slot. Maybe they keep Corey Davis as a good blocker, good size player, and he slides in and through our receiver sets as the slot when they don't want to use, I don't know, Randall Cobb, who's still sitting out there, who might come when <laughs> Rodgers comes. So my fear with Elijah Moore is that if they do that, they keep Corey, they bring in Randall, what what does Elijah Moore do? Like I know he's a fine player. I really like Elijah Moore. We loved him coming out. These 5'10", 180 boys. I can't get enough of them. But his days might be somewhere else. I would I would hope in that situation they would try to see if they can get a third or a fourth round pick out of Elijah Moore just to ship him out of town because he is a talented player and that might be best for him. But if they don't bring in Cobb, they get rid of Davis. The ceiling might not be there because he's the third guy potentially. But I really like him with Rodgers because Rodgers will get him the ball in places he's good with the ball. So I like the pick there with Elijah Moore. I just was giving my apprehension and why I'm very sad about Elijah Moore. And with Khalil Herbert, I mean, they signed Deonta Foreman. I mean, everything we said, if you scroll back to like the Romandre segment where I said, don't be nervous if your guy, they, his team signed a player for marginal money or bring in a day three back. Well, Khalil Herbert got that. He got the Deontay Foreman for one year, $3 million. So my issue with this is like Deontay Foreman is, was a really effective runner last year on first and second down. And Khalil Herbert was one of the more efficient first, second down runners. They kind of did the same thing, which would make me nervous. I think Khalil Herbert is like a screaming sell where I think he's like a good player. But if you can get a 24 first out of Khalil Herbert, that is I'm doing that yesterday. That's like, I'm not even thinking twice about it. If I can get, we take him here at 204 and what's a strong class. If this year's class, you can give me an early second and a late second. I'm taking it over Khalil Herbert. I think this is the opportunity where everyone gets excited. There's a level of arrogance around calling your shots and Khalil Herbert could end up being fantastic in this team, but there's no guarantee. And Deonta Foreman could just come in and do the one thing Khalil Herbert can't do, which is, pass block and play third down and Deontay Foreman could just do that they don't need him to go catch passes 
because they don't need Cole Herbert to go get passes because they got Justin Fields to take off instead of giving those dump offs and he can run the ball. And if Foreman can just be that guy to step up and make the block, he might be the one who plays 50% of the snaps. And Cole Herbert, where he could come up, is only room to go up because he only played like 30 to 35% of snaps last year for the majority of the year. He could go up to 40 and then Foreman could still just play 50% of the snaps. So we're now you're looking at Cole Herbert just hoping he's efficient or gets the red zone work. And I don't love that bet, especially when Justin Fields last year, he was second on the team in red zone rushing attempts. Colbert was third. Dave Montgomery was first. So there are some concerns about how much of the job Herbert picks up. And for that reason, I'm just willing to sell based on how excited other people are. So with Herbert, it's I, that was my pick there at 204 as well. I'm just giving my reservations because we here at JVB have been uh, I'm trying to think of a PG way to say on top of Khalil Herbert for the last year and how much we admire him as a talent. I just want to say it's all about cost. And with Khalil Herbert, his cost right now is screaming sell to me. I'm talking about screaming sell, this is a player. I'm going here at 206. You'll see tom- um, you'll see Thursday, Tim talking about this player. It's going to be Kadarius Tony here for me at 206. Last player I kind of had it a little tier. I think him or Elijah Moore, completely different players, but similar risk. You might think Elijah Moore is more talented. Well, Kadarius Tony was a first round NFL pick. I know he got shipped off. Well, he's kind of the last guy standing in that room. I know that they will just sign a whole hodgepodge and they'll get the ball. The way the offense works is they get the ball to who's open. They spread the ball around. But Kadarius Tony doesn't need a ton of looks to be hyper efficient. Health is my biggest question mark with Kadarius Tony. His hamstrings are made of angel hair pasta he just hasn't been able to stay together for a huge chunk uh or command that volume really when he he has been healthy but Kadarius tony is still a really electric player really exciting and he's on kansas city who's last time i checked still a top offense so i like Kadarius tony here in this mid second kind of range i think in this current draft class him in the mid to late second terms of value seems totally fine as well so Kadarius Tony, I'm not getting overly excited, but I think it's a fine pick here. Now I got to jump down a tier. I'm signing between two backs, where one, I believe in the talent, but he's behind one of the best backs in the league. He's not seeing the field except for sparing snaps unless an injury comes place. And the other one, well, he finds himself beside someone who cannot stay on the field. You know, and that's that that's Kenneth Gainwell. But I'm going to go with Elijah Mitchell as my pick because I'm believing in this town. I think even if Kenneth Gainwell gets good work over Rashad Penny. What does that look like? Like we saw Miles Sanders have the lead job last year and run very officially. One of only a few guys to stay over five yards per carry for like his whole career. And the touchdowns even came up. He was still just a low end RB two because the passing volume is just not there. They don't dump the ball off. Everything we were saying with Justin Fields taking off Jalen hurts does that. They don't need him to dump the ball off when he uses feet on third down, uses feet in the red zone. He's their lead guy there. They brought Boston Scott back who just all he does is steal touchdowns. So for that reason, we go with Elijah Mitchell as the back here, because if Christian McCaffrey goes down, which historically has happened once or twice, he's, He's in a really good spot. San Francisco is still a great offense who scores a lot of touchdowns. And Elijah Mitchell is an aggressive runner, which is maybe why he himself can't freaking stay on the field. But he's <laughs> good in the red zone. Like Elijah Mitchell, I think from a talent, if you told me he was 100% healthy entering the game, I think he's one of the 20 most talented running backs in the NFL. So for that reason, he's elite handcuff status. 
I don't like spending seconds on handcuffs, but he's the best available player for this draft class. So Elijah Mitchell for me. I'm with you on that. I think he still gets a role with McCaffrey too. And sure, but they, that's no fantasy value on that role. No, I agree. I just, I mean, it, in terms of effectiveness, he still shows it at that point, even in that limited snap and opportunity that he has what it takes to perform at a higher level if he were to give, be given that opportunity. Just to jump back real quick to clear Herbert before the signing of uh, Deontay, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm going to say Dante. Yep, Deonta Foreman. Okay. I thought it was Dante Foreman. My bad. Um, I was able to trade a first and Khalil Herbert for Saquon Barkley. So I'm with you on selling. Selling when the opportunity arises. I was selling to a rebuilder who wanted the additional first and wanted to take the shot on Herbert. I was like, let's do it. Yeah. Easy move for me. Yep. Just hope they don't draft Charbonnet with one of their, like, 10 day two picks <laughs> could happen all right you leave me in a spot here 208 nothing but I, studs left are you gonna take the the running back i alluded to i i gotta go with rondell more okay. first if i'm gonna be making any sort of moves on the board because i think rondell has shown that he can at least support a role inside of a passing offense it's just it's just if he gets the allotted number of targets necessary for that to happen and then I have a slew of wide receivers that I have to determine if they're even valuable enough to take a risk on. Yeah, let's go. Uh, hmm, I'll get last pick in the second. So I'll go Gainwell here. Taking the risk that there's some sort of opportunity for him to grow his role. He did show that he was a little bit cagey when it came to performances in the playoffs. That there may be something a little bit more in addition to what he's Already given the Eagles if they'll allow him to do that. Nothing to bank on, but a little bit upside at 209. Yeah, and the, the Rashad Penny deal where I think Rashad Penny was fine as like a four. You got him for a fourth rounder. You got him for nothing. Like he was a throw into trades for Dynasty. I think that was a fine buy, speculative. Now, like there's no way you're like, you're not getting Rashad Penny except for like a second. And there is no way I am paying a second round pick for Rashad Punny unless if a whole list of things are true. He needs to be performing at at least an RB2 level. We need to be at or around the trade deadline. I need to have a glaring need at RB2. And he has to have a good matchup in the week that I am trading for him. And he also has to be healthy for the whole year. Um, I'll, I'll pass on that. I don't think it's going to happen. You also look, he's getting less money than Matt Breida. Like, just just shows you the risk the Philly's putting in on him. Like uh, I understand people being excited. And if you want to go take him in around nine ten of your best ball drafts on underdog, go crazy because he could come in and give you what Miles Sanders did. I think he's extremely talented. He, there's no question in that. I mean, the end of the stretch at the end of the year he had in 2022, where he was like seven yards per carry and led people to fantasy championships for the last month was gnarly. And that's that's in his range of outcomes. It's just we literally have never seen it. So betting against him with that Gainwell pick, I think it's fine. I don't love Gainwell. I think he's like that dollar tree Miles Sanders, but it's 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 a good pick there because of the lack of confidence in Rashad Penny. Um I will here. I'll leave you one of the wide receivers. I'll take Zach Wilson here at no, 210. Oh, I was gonna take Zach Wilson <laughs> at 212. Because I don't believe in Zach Wilson. Like, so we'll get that out of the way anymore. I'm 
te- telling myself, reminding myself of Zach Wilson when I'm going back and looking at this Will Levis film. So like when with Will Levis, I just worry that a lot of the question marks we had about Zach Wilson, like ends up being this guy um, before I go into. Yeah. I mean, Lewis, he's got the arm talent, but he's just so inconsistent. He's, he's got the finesse of Josh Allen. That's not a compliment. I mean, I don't mind darts in the red zone, but he can't throw with anticipation. That's not something that Zach Wilson could do. He has a lack of footwork. It could be a problem. It's like Zach Wilson. Um, he flashes, but I just worry that he might get swallowed up by defensive backs, which is exactly what Zach Wilson did. He had that Baker effect where the second he felt pressure, he just rolled to his right and would just try to race it to the sideline to force something to happen. And that led to disasters. I think Zach Wilson experiment in New Jersey is completely gone. Hopefully with Aaron Rodgers coming in, if that ever happens, um, teaches Zach Wilson a thing or two, and he can get an opportunity down the line. Here with Zach Wilson, we're taking it to 210. Everything we said about Mac Jones, if he loses his job and becomes a backup, well, I don't know if Zach Wilson could be a backup, but if he gets another chance somewhere like we've seen now, Baker Mayfield be on his, what, fourth gig, you can recoup at least a 210 for Zach Wilson. So I think right now we're in a lot of your leagues, you can go get Zach Wilson for a third-round pick. I think it makes a lot of sense. I traded away Sky Moore and Davis Mills for Zach Wilson and Rashid Shahid on Super Bowl day when I was hanging out what? with Tim. You shouldn't say what you should remember. I did it on Super Bowl morning. And like that's like it was mainly because I was trying to capitalize on Sky Morgan excitement. I thought him Shahid kind of like a like for like switch. I probably prefer Shahid anyway. I do. But Zach Wilson, I think, is much better potential, at least for me to sell for a second than Davis Mills is for the future. So Zach Wilson here at 210. It's simply an ROI play. Uh, my confidence is super low in him as a player. And then 211, I don't like it. We'll take Nico Collins. Um, big body receiver. Hasn't really been able to stay healthy. Hasn't produced when he's been the lone guy. But Brandon Cook's out of town there. They've brought in a couple veterans, Robert Woods, um, Noah Brown, who can come and play right away. That's a sneaky low-key buy because with – uh, he'll be out there on the field for a lot. He's a great blocker. Um, he potentially could give you a little early season value, similar to how he did last year after Mark Cooper left um, Dallas when he when he put up numbers. So I, I like Noah Brown a little bit. But Nico Collins, it's fine. The opportunity is there for him to step up as this team. I just don't believe in him as a wide receiver one. Um, we'll see if he can play as the uh, receiver on the other side of the ball if they do find a number one. With them bringing in Robert Woods, I don't know where John Mechie is in his recovery. So Nico, circumstantial. He'll potentially have Bryce Young to work with. He's somebody who makes absolute magic happen. He makes something out of nothing. Like It could be his downfall. It could be his best attribute. But in Bama, lesser Bama teams for the last two seasons, every time stuff broke down, he would dance around. He felt pressure really well, get us out of the pocket, make something happen out of nothing. Maybe the 6'4 wide receiver, Nico Collins, is his like go-to guy in the middle of the field when they're trying to make something happen. I don't know. Don't love it. But that's what we're left with here. This is a really big group of a lot of meh. So Nico Collins, 211. I like it. I, I really uh, – I, hmm, I wanted to take uh, Zach Wilson at 212 really badly because I'm not a believer still, but I, I do like the risk that you could take that he gets an opportunity somewhere else where they run something a little bit friendlier to his play style and to his abilities, even if they ran more RPO stuff. Because that's way more read and react, which you know you just see where the leverage is going, and you find you find the opportunity upfield that could be on the opposite side of the field that you roll that way or whatever. But and then Nico is yeah, Nico's fun because if he gets a quarterback, the thing with Bryce for me is less about his size and more about his anticipation. Where he it's he, he was, maybe the best in the class. 
but he was late on a lot of throws, so his reads are late when it comes to live mm-hmm. play. But a lot of that could be that he's running around the backfield. But with a guy like Nico, all you got to do is place the ball in a spot which you go make a play. And I think that that could play to Nico's strength. And the more wide receivers that are out there makes it a little bit easier not to just like shade coverage in one direction, which then gives you better matchups. So I think Nico's a great opportunity grab here. Stuck between two wide receivers. It's uh, Terrence Marshall and Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer <laughs> with the opportunity if Keenan uh, gets hurt or gets shipped out of town. But I, I can't quit Terrace Marshall. He's my uh, dude. So I'm going with TMJ. TMJ. But All right. I thing. mean, we, we know that the majority of these players after uh, Eliza, Elijah Mitchell even could be considered in this are not worth the second round pick. No, so, no. The redraft puts them in the second round, but these guys are guys that you take way cheaper shots on than second round picks. Yeah, they're like thirds. Like Rondell, I let you have your little soapbox. Like I think he might just be just a guy. He's undersized and never really has capitalized on it as like a route runner or a deep target. He's just kind of been there. Like maybe yeah, guy short yards guy. His a dot his rookie year was hilarious. Uh, he's got new coaching, so maybe it could change. The only thing there is like early season. Who are they going to throw the ball too they might be down and bad and it could just be a volume thing where he finally if he's healthy and he's there he could just get work uh, i think it's hilarious when you look back at greg dorch that his numbers rounded out to identical to ronald moore and identical to ronald's first year and if greg dorch comes off the street and stealing snaps and playing kind of similarly as far as efficiency production it's not a great thing for elijah moore i've really soured on elijah moore i know some managers during this draft class you see where he was going at 205 the conversation was him or Elijah Moore for a lot of people. A lot of people took him at 202. People were trading their 23 or sorry, their 22 first to get Ronda Moore in the early second. And boy, has that flopped. So I agree with you. All these guys are maybe third round third throws. Terrace Marshall might even be less for me, I think, with Adam Thielen coming in. Uh, they don't have a number one. I know Adam Thiel may not even be healthy for the whole year, but even if Terry Marshall has a good season next year, like I am selling and I would sell him for the 212 if he has a good season because in these gap years, we call it gap year production. When your team is in flux, it's in transition, maybe you have a new quarterback, you don't have elite offensive weapons. Some players just get stats kind of as a de facto. We'll look yep. at Darnell Mooney two years ago with. Chicago, when there was no one really to get the ball to, Allen Robinson wasn't 100%. And Darnell Mooney put up a really, really solid season. And people were excited about Darnell Mooney moving forward. We got to remember this guy was a fifth-round prospect. He had a lot of question marks. His size was a concern. He was never going to be... Uh, I mean, he barely got a thousand yards on like 160 targets or 140 targets or whatever it was that year where it, that could be the best year he has in his career. And I think if Terrace Marshall comes in next year and somehow sees a hundred targets, maybe puts up a thousand yards, maybe, maybe score some touchdowns. Like he, that could be the best year he ever has in his career. Don't get foolish. Cause young, Oh, this is the resurrection. It took Devonte Adams till year three, four to really come on. No, that, that, that is an outlier. I will say if Terrace Marshall has a, any, what productive season it's, probably just a sell for me. He had a lot of question marks coming out. He, I mean, we gave him the, we gave him the benefit of the doubt because he was LSU. We played with studs that the production wasn't there because of those studs, but he wasn't above average in any athleticism, wasn't above average in his stats. He got, he got decent enough draft capital to warrant looking at him being okay at a lot of things. I think he'll get immediate opportunity in a team that could have used him immediately, but then he didn't produce the coaching staff left right away. 
it just kind of like everything fell out for Terrace Marshall. So maybe it's a resurrection career, but can't really no. complain here. Two twelve, like we're throw we're throwing a dart. I agree with you. What are you gonna take, Michael Carter? Like even if Brees Hall goes down, Michael Carter is just he's a committee back. They're gonna bring in like Bam Knight last year, who we like, and he's gonna be good enough. And Michael Carter's just gonna stay in his third down role. So sure, I, I will say. Fine. I will say this, though, that if you're looking to get in and out of a player or kind of have a better idea of anticipating value, that um, – well, I just forgot his name. The other receiver. Um, what, Shai Smith? That, no, that Josh Palmer. Oh, Josh Palmer. Okay. So if you're looking if you're looking to kind of plan out the play in terms of what you want to do with this wide receiver, Josh Palmer is more, more likely to give you a defined return when it comes to if you're drafting this player to get rid of him or acquiring this player to like find out when to move him. That if Keenan gets hurt or if Keenan gets moved, you know exactly that you need to move him. Where Marshall's more of a of an upside risk when it comes to performance. Yeah. Palmer's which, more which more of a take. Palmer's more of a reputation risk when it comes to being able to trade him. So sure. that's also an opportunity. Like I like I said, I just love Terrace Marshall, so I can't quit him. That's the only oh, yeah. reason why I picked him. I don't think he's a great value at 212. And I think that he, like you said, he's worth probably a fourth or even maybe fab at this point. Yeah. So if you go back and you watch our 2021 and you look at everything, we talked about KJ Osborne. That's just kind of what I see for Josh Palmer, where it's like he is the third wide receiver. I don't think he's that talented. I actually think KJ Osborne is more talented than Josh Palmer. But Josh Palmer is not getting in on two wide receiver sets when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are healthy. Or, or if they draft a wide receiver, he could be straight up replaced. Same thing with KJ Osborne, by the way. They could watch them go on draft JSN. Nothing's going to happen. He'd be evaporated. Would not, be only amazing, would he steal, not only would he steal <laughs> the slot work, but now he doesn't even have a, a, a role when they get three wideouts. And that could happen to Josh Palmer. At any point, they could draft a guy who just straight up steals his role on third three wide receiver sets. And... And better than him to sneak in on two wide receiver sets in terms of if you know in an event of an injury. So with Josh Palmer, I think he's more of that best ball wide receiver. Like you're not going to start him unless someone is hurt. And other than that, it's just splash games because they happen to focus on the two talented wide receivers. It's like yeah. a it's like a significantly less talented version of Tyler Boyd. Like, and I think you're just drafting to move him when someone gets hurt or or, for, or if exactly age, or if you really need a changes. spot start. You know, like yeah. So. I have him in like one league in which like I have he's like a fringe flex where we're we're starting twelve players, but like besides that, yeah, I agree with you. Like I don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. He to me he's to me he's the pretty Michael Gallup, and Michael Gallup has proven to not be worth anything. Anything. All right, and we're ready to move on here into the twenty twenty two class super flex draft for redoing the class. If you're tuning in and you haven't gone and caught 2020 2021 you can see the board above but we did talk through all of the top 24 players we would take going back I'm ready to roll right into 2022 class first i will say that the adp for last year shook out it was Brees hall drake lining garrett wilson kenneth walker Traylon burks jameson williams chris Olave, kenny pickett sky Moore, christian watson george pickens james cook to round out the first um Jahan dotson david bell Rashad White, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, John Mechie, Isaiah Spiller, Damian Pierce, Alec Pierce, Trey McBride, Zamir White, and Jalen Tolbert to round out the second. That was just a year ago. Now we're just one year removed, so this might not be as – our board might not look as different as like the 2020 class or the 2021 class was, where a lot of those players, too, they're, they're leaving, especially 2020, they're leaving that first contract, and there's uncertainty about – 
if they even have a role in the NFL moving forward. So we still do have some speculation on this 2022 class because players haven't completely flopped yet. So it should be an interesting draft. I'll start it off here and just take the obvious pick. At least for me, it's still Brees Hall. The 101 is repeating himself here. Um, yeah, there's nothing not to love. Brees Hall was a prospect who ended up being right on the same level as the Melvin Gordons, Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott's of years past. You know, maybe not as incredible high up as Saquon Zeke, but he was in that tier threshold that we have. It's just like when he tested the way he tested to match with his production at Iowa State, it was like it was over. I knew Brees Hall was a stud. He was going to be a great player. I didn't really even care where he landed. He landed with the Jets. People immediately were like, oh, my gosh, he's not going to be a bell cow. Michael Carter was good as a rookie. Well, everything we said about like players like Damian Pierce or Devin Singletary after his rookie year with Frank Gore or James Robinson playing really well before ETN came in is, I don't care that Michael Carter played well as a rookie. He was a what fourth or fifth round pick. He's a day three pick, and he's a committee back. He's simply a committee back. He's a very good player. I actually really like Michael Carter. If I'm a Jets fan, I like having Michael Carter on my team. He plays a good role, but he is not stealing anything from a top-tier talent. If we were stepped down as far as our talent confidence tier, maybe if like we're in this class, it's a Jameer Gibbs. Well, if Jameer Gibbs lands on a team who does have backs who could take away volume, there's reason to be concerned. But with Brees Hall, I think Gary went to the Jets. I'm like, Heck yeah, given to a team that obviously whatever team drafts him is invested in him. Early second is as good as a first round pick for these running backs. Really excited when he went to the Jets personally, and he looks great. I mean, he was he was a top, he was an RB1 until like midseason, despite getting hurt in what week six or whenever it was. The injury for people who are concerned for Dynasty, we've seen players like Dalvin Cook and you know come back and be RB1s. Falling, you know, in ACL, it was, it was not as significant an injury as Javante Williams, who we talked about in the 2021 class. And for that reason, I think Brees Hall will be fine long-term. Do I think he will be a top five running back next season? No. And if he's not RB1 next, or a top five running back next season, do not sell him for less than top five running back prices. Expect maybe a little bit of a slow start. Um you know, for all 11 manners, you probably see that and it would expect a little bit of a slower start. And what we saw from J.K. Dobbins in the range of outcomes, there would be that one manager who's expecting Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles. I just that doesn't happen. It's unprecedented. Players don't come back from the season after this injury and put up RB one overall finishes. It just doesn't really happen. So curb your expectations with Brees Hall for next year. But long term, he's a top, top back. Like he might be rivaling Bijan as who is the RB one. Is it him? Is it Bijan? Is it Taylor? You could you you can give me the argument. So when I have a player who's potentially the best at his position in dynasty value, lock him in for me at the 101. Brees Hall is that guy. Yeah. And he's shown that he has the ceiling. The thing is with a lot of running backs, they don't, they just don't, they just don't have that plenty 20 plus per game opportunity in terms of ceiling where if we're talking even about like a Kenneth Walker, it's just, it's not the same. And when you have players that, that are like that, that can just handle all types of loads, all types of uh, different requirements or responsibilities, even when it comes to receiving versus rushing, but being dynamic at both, that's huge. So I agree with you. He falls, he falls into that, that he should fall into the perception of like what we saw from like a Saquon in terms of their ability to be dynamic and really own both the passing and receiving games and be successful at both of them. 
Um, am I moving on into 102? Yes, sir. Roll ready. I'm going to roll with another jet, which is really funny that <laughs> we're starting jet jet here. But Garrett Wilson, to me, is such an easy pick. He's already in the top 12. Could even be higher when it comes to dynasty wide receiver ranks. And I think that he's so easy to under, uh, to expect volume from, as well as he's going to produce very well on that volume. That it's just such an easy lock in where there's other players that you can take risk on when it comes to upside or when it comes to this, when it comes to that. But Garrett Wilson's already met those thresholds, those points, the spots you want to see to have faith moving forward. And to me, I, I feel like he could easily run into that top five dynasty wide receiver um, rank after this upcoming season when he shows that he's just going to be very explosive on volume with a quarterback that's actually accurate enough to deliver on more plays than just the ones he's wide open on. Yeah, without Zach Wilson, weeks without Zach Wilson, he was a wide receiver one last season. So what, what does that tell you? I think it tells you a lot. The second player I'm going to be taking off the board here is another wide receiver. I'm going with Drake London. I just I feel very confident in his progression. It may be, like you said, with Brees, it might be a little bit slow this year when it comes to how high in terms of the heights he reaches. But I have no doubts that with his ability to get such a large target share to for him to produce over time and to support the 103 pick here in the draft. Yeah, I don't know if I would expect Drake London with Kyle Pitts coming back, a couple other acquisitions to come in at 29% of that team's passing volume uh, targets next year, but he really could. I mean, he's he's a target hog player. He earned them. His peripherals last year were excellent. Uh, Drake London, I know, should be really excited. I've seen him slide in a lot of people's rankings. There's no reason this guy should be outside the top 15 wide receivers. To me, explain to me why long-term Drake London is significantly worse asset than T Higgins, who we had in the 2020 class at that 107. Like the difference is the, the high pad, the offense pass attempts, uh, the quarterback being Joe Burrow, but like Drake London is a wide receiver who might not give us wide receiver one seasons. I don't necessarily know if he's that type of player, but like we were saying with T Higgins or Mike Evans, I think with him just being a big bodied guy, there's a lot of wide receiver two seasons in this guy's career. A lot. So when I get Drake London on my team, it just, it fills that wide receiver two spot. And then I could spend the rest of my time as a manager shooting darts in the mid first for that upside wide receiver. He just gives you that flexibility. I really like Drake London for that spot. You know, it just might be another wide receiver three season for him next year with probably low passing volume and a gap quarterback at 104. I'm going to go with Chris Olave. Actually, no, I'm going to put Kenneth Walker in first and 105. I'll put Chris Olave. I think Olave or, or Drake London, you really could pick either or Kenneth Walker. I have in the same tier, but I have those three players in a tier. It's so nice to get uh, these last two picks in the top five because then there's a tier break at 105, like a very, very clear tier break. I think everyone after 105 is more like, fringe first value maybe early second value like not true first round picks and i think that's where last year we got it twisted where manners were saying all year this is a weaker class 2023 is the class this is a weaker class 2023 is the class well you can see from our intro it is uh death taxes and the 2022 wide receiver class we weren't full we love these guys i mean garrett wilson and chris Olave were very very close analytically two of the most nfl ready guys and then really the only miss who isn't really a miss if you do want to put a little bit of a um, context to it with the trail on Burks is really the only miss from that top 
five, and Chris Olave snuck in to take his place. So you can say that the top five of this draft class for not having a quarterback is really strong. Like Garrett Wilson at 102 might not feel as sexy as getting C.D. Lamb at 109 like he was in his class. Well, his class had multiple quarterbacks and a lot of running backs, which in a lot of your softball leagues or your home leagues, running backs go off the board before the wide receivers, right? And you guys who are listening to us in our community, maybe you prefer wide receivers. You like to build through that position like we do, but running backs in the consensus in the ADP tend to uh, come up boards a little faster than wide receivers. So when you have that strong of a running back class and quarterbacks there, that's why CD lamb slides. But does that mean Drake wanted isn't worth, or sorry, Garrett Wilson wasn't worth that one Oh two. Absolutely not. He's, he's totally worth that spot. He produced really well right now. We have them anywhere from six to 10. I think it's fine for your wide receiver. I agree with Tim. He could jump into the top five with just putting up, you know, another, thousand yard plus season um and looking well with whatever quarterback they were to bring in and we expect it to be Aaron Rodgers so with this class where it might seem like it thins out it does but those top five players are great they're really great where Chris Olave I don't know if the ceiling is necessarily that of like Garrett Wilson where he's going to be the wide receiver one for your team I think for different reasons, he's going to have a lot of wide receiver two seasons, not because of the way Drake London gets it, but because he's really good at a lot of things. He compliments like even with a player like Michael Thomas and Michael Thomas can play well. Chris Olave can still be extremely valuable and he'll have wide receiver one seasons in his career. Maybe he takes a step up like that Stefan Diggs type player. But at worst, I think Chris Olave is a perfect two. And Kenneth Walker here put at 104. He is his question marks were pass catching ability which is still a concern, but it's not as big as a concern when he was coming in. Like, he got some balls. That's not really how Seattle operates. I think if you get him in space, he really can make things happen with the ball in his hand. He doesn't have the ceiling like a Brees Hall because he's just not going to be catching a million dump-offs. It's not like Saquon Barkley where he's going to be running routes. It's not going to be like Bijan where he's making highlights, you know, catching the ball. He just doesn't have that ceiling, and that's why he's a tier back from Brees Hall for me. But Kenneth Walker is still a running back who is young, Fits every single team build, will now rebuild, whatever you want. Kenneth Walker fits really nice into that. It's kind of like for me, I view it like getting a Nick Chubb at 22 years old because Kenneth Walker is still really young. He was on the younger side for rookies. So he's got that breakaway speed. He's got the size. He's proven he can play. He's proven he's more capable in the receiving than maybe we thought of him as a prospect. Um, but still, I think that he is limited as far as being like the RB1 overall because of just password and the way Seattle operates. I agree with you. I uh, We did a we recently did a KTC buy or sell video, and Kenneth Walker was one of the players we wanted to sell. The reason why we wanted to sell was because he was at RB4 in Dynasty. To me, that's too high. But to me... Kenneth Walker is also still going to be an RB1. Like you said, he's good for any build because of the fact he's so young. I don't think there's there's going to be a bunch of competition for him when it comes to snap share. I think he's going to have a majority of it. And that's makes him very safe when it comes to, like you said, any build. He is very safe. So I think that that's a, a very valuable pick. And a lot of it is just automatic. Like automatic. He, you, you want him on any team that you can get him on. And he's always going to produce for you. You could have... Wide receiver one, wide receiver two. You could have Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, and you'd still be happy to have him as your wide receiver three and not be like, oh, well, I just have Chris Olave. No, Chris Olave is a true asset, like you said, 
most likely a wide receiver two for probably the rest like 10 years he could have wide receiver one seasons but basically he's he's also very safe and very automatic now i want to just point something out because as we see the tier breaks at this point that we feel that a lot of this is going to be late first or early second in terms of value I feel like a lot of this is going to correlate to this year's 2023 rookie class when it comes to maybe not exactly at 105, but the feeling that we have, like we're saying, oh, a lot of these players just feel like second round picks. I think that if we can identify that early or even just understand that feeling early, there are ways in which we're able to navigate our drafts better. Maybe trading, let's just say, for instance, let's say that tier break is at 108, 109 navigating that 109 pick into maybe two second round picks or two second round picks plus a future third to give you an opportunity to pick more than one of these second round tier value players. That's just something to consider. You're going to have to kind of navigate that in your own drafts, but just, just something I wanted to point out as to, we all can understand that feeling, even if we don't agree on the spot of where it should be for me, I'm my next pick is going to be at 106 is going to be Traylon Burks. I'm going to be running to the podium to take him. I understand that he didn't have the greatest season, but that's due to a lot of factors, health, the offense, things like that, that I think he's shown enough flash to prove that he belongs in this league. For me, I I thought he had a bunch of upside, but I also thought he wasn't at all safe, that he could easily flame out as, as easily as he could be a star. But I think I've seen enough, especially against how much he towers just physically over cornerbacks. Like the, the man is just heavy. The man is just thick. He's, he is built different than uh, a lot of the NFL players that have to be smaller to match up with his his athleticism in the open field as, as well as like covering him downfield. He's always going to be a, a very good target for quarterbacks. It's just it's a volume question and it's a capability of the total route tree question at this point. But if even if he has to stick to certain routes, I think he'll still be successful. He just isn't in that same tier as like the top five when it comes to production, he might have boom bust weeks, things like that, where he's just not considered a fantasy alpha, but it's still okay for him to be on your roster and be usable in a lot of weeks and probably win you some weeks along the way. And now this is where I feel is a massive tear break. And you're really searching for value versus upside. We at JWB Stan Dotson, I really like Pickens, and I think that Jamison Williams has a lot of upside that we have to decide if it's uh, realized or unrealized, and we just don't know at this point. So there's just a lot of risk at this at this pick. I'm not big on uh, any of the quarterbacks in the class, so like I'm not even considering quarterback. So for safety, I'm probably going to go Dotson, but if I were searching for upside, I would go Jamison Williams. Um, I think that he has a lot to offer, but with Dotson, we've seen that he's a touchdown scorer, that he's very capable of being a big dog on his offense, even though he's more of a smaller receiver. He's just, he's shown so much in capability. And I think that that gives you a lot of faith in fantasy, even if he ends up being just a flex option because you have uh, healthy wide receivers above him, or if he's your wide receiver three, then you're feeling really good about the upside. Yeah, I can't really fault the pick. Um, I think Traylon Burks kind of, for me, is in the same tier as this group of players. I don't know if it's a huge tier drop. I do agree that I prefer him over those other options. My hope for for Traylon Burks is he ends up being that like Chris Godwin type player where 
unless if the volume is insane, he's probably not a wide receiver one, but he's really effective on his touches. He's got kind of this like this uh this yak that you don't expect out of him. Uh he's a quarterback's best friend. If he can put it together and find a way to stand out in this offense, I think Traylon Burks is still in a position to be a really, really solid wide receiver for your dynasty team. Uh, so I would just caution people not to like completely overlook them. I know the team, we don't know where Tennessee is going to be, and they might not be that good next year. But on the contrary, it's still variable, and he wants to compete, and they could try to pass some stuff together and be relatively decent. You know, it could be healthy. Shailen Burks is the clear target there. Him and Chigakonko, I think, are both really good targets just in terms of where it might be a low-passing volume offense, but the consolidation of targets might favor those two players because they're very clearly, when you look at the roster right now, the the two standout players, the two guys who should be getting the ball. And um, yeah, Jahan Dotson's our guy, our JWB guy, our JWB darling. Um, this is a player where it's a little different, but you're hoping for like Tyler Lockett. seems like, yeah, he's little, but he finds the end zone. He can play inside. He can play outside. Great hands, great catch radius. Like he'll make a highlight play despite being 5'10", 180. But I love these type of plays. I love Jahan Dotson. I can't really criticize it. I mean, seven touchdowns on you know, while missing city chunks of the year is it's impressive. And, you know, it's pretty rare that you see rookies put up 70 or sorry, seven touchdowns on at least 70 targets. And uh, the other guy who did it is Christian Watson. Who's probably who I take here at one Oh eight. I'm going to go Christian Watson here. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, Pairing him with my Jordan Love that I took two drafts ago, I guess, and my AJ Dillon pick. I'm taking the whole Green Bay offense here with Christian Watson. <laughs> this is uh he flashed well. I mean, you got to give credit to the guy for down the stretch he commanded it was like 22.5% team target share, which is was my biggest concern. I'm like, he's big, he's he's a field stretcher at, at worst. He's playing with Rodgers, maybe Rodgers can him anticipation. They still had little hiccup moments, like there was one glaring play. I think it was in fantasy playoffs maybe the first or second week of fantasy playoffs where Rodgers had a play at the end of the game where he patted his side and indicated to Christian Watson like like hey that we're, we're we're calling audible like I'm hitting you quick and Watson was slow to react and Rodgers threw the ball and it basically hit Watson on the side of him and I'm like yeah this guy still has a ways to go as far as catching up to speed I was um, against being the Rams a, yeah being a step ahead of defenses like he still has a way to go he made some some ugly drops but then he'd follow it up with a big touchdown and you you really can't criticize a guy for scoring too much he's still got the size he performed well when needed and his target share which was my biggest concern was there down the stretch whether that's because he doesn't have real competition i don't think romeo dobbs is an exceptional wide receiver alan lazard is neither a player is going to be getting more than uh the volume he got over the last season and there's nothing really else too exciting on that team so with christian watson the circumstance hasn't really changed. It's just Jordan Love now. So what is this offense going to look like? What's it feeling like with him? I'm not sure, but I still like Christian Watson long-term. He's a player who really surprised us. I'm not going to over-invest. Like, he's in that range. Everyone who's in this range, the Trillenberg, Sean Johnson, Christian Watson is in this, and especially George Pickens, who I'll leave for you, is in this grouping <laughs> of wide. They're in these grouping of wide receivers that hang around wide receiver 24 in the dynasty market, which is just kind of a spot where it's like, eh, the studs are gone. The vets are old. We're in this middling gap where the production is less than the vets we can get later, but it's not the upside isn't there of the players we can get a tier before. So it's a, a, <laughs> a plant flag spot. You're planting your flag that one of these guys is going to jump into the next group. And personally, I just like to either 
move one of these guys for someone who's in that tier to pick up draft capital or just straight up move off of them for a veteran to pick up draft capital on top of the veteran and guarantee myself that production. So like Christian Watson is in a lot of people's rankings, like wide receiver 20, which is totally fine. But that's like de facto. He's in there because that middling spot in the market isn't clear. I don't think he's actually worth a wide receiver 20, but he is the wide receiver 20. If that makes sense to people, it's him and Jamison Williams, my next pick, who is a very similar player in that aspect. It's like he's in this value gap because we have a break between these young studs and the veterans who are all but so productive. So what do you do? He's a plant flag player. I'm fine with him in this territory. It's the people who are bumping Jamison Williams up to a top 16 wide receiver. Like people really are making arguments that he is next to Drake London or Chris Olafe. And I'm like, for what? Like he was a first round wide receiver. He had a really good prospect profile. Yes. He came in with the injury, but his prospect profile was still below those players. And those players performed in the NFL. Like they showed us a year where they can do it. Jamison Williams hasn't shown us he can do it. It's not like he's in a situation where he's the he's clear of uh, target competition, and he he didn't play more than twenty five percent of snaps in any of the games he came in at the end of last year. It's just hard for me to buy the picture on Jamison Williams. I still think he's a potentially good talent, but also I think he could be really good and not be a good fantasy player. So investing in that player at like wide receiver 16 is ridiculous because even if he makes big plays and and performs like a quality NFL player, uh, maybe Amarad takes a step back. He gets a little more volume than we anticipate and he plays really well. Well, where is he going up in market? What is he going up to? If you're buying him at wide receiver 16, I fear you're buying him at ceiling. If you're buying him at 16, he has to produce there. I don't like making that bet on a player who, did again, didn't play more than 25% of snaps last year. Maybe it's because he was coming back slow off the injury. Whatever you want to paint, I just don't love Jamison Williams more than one of the 12 managers in my league does. So I don't have a lot of, I don't have any Jamison Williams for that reason. But I don't hate the player for people who think that. I just think he's really overvalued. Just want to plug another one of our KTC buy sell shows. You can go over to, you'll, you'll navigate through our uploads at, on our JWB YouTube channel. I go to our or, clips catalog. You like, the, we, we have it in our thing and you go and look up Jameson Williams. You can see every time we've talked to clip on Jameson Williams in 2023 and go watch the different takes for the different people and help you formulate a further opinion. Yes, the catalog is probably going to be one of the best assets that JWB has this year because referencing a lot of our takes is going to be very valuable to a lot of um, consumers when it comes to off-season um, moves. Yeah, and roasting us on our bad takes. Well, I think it's more <laughs> or less going to be that they're going to be informative about how we feel about this player when the climate changes or when a veteran gets signed or when they draft a rookie in round five all that stuff but Jamison Williams at wide receiver 16 is too damn high period because the same way that you're going to perceive that Jamison Williams Jamison Williams should be perceived and I like Jamison Williams I like him a lot is no different than the year two Hollywood Brown and Hollywood Brown has already shown higher levels of capability than just a deep ball guy, which I kind of expect from Jameson, but he may only be in the role 
certain role of getting the ball deep and being a big play wide receiver. Um, Hollywood Brown's wide receiver 24 on KCC. So you already can move back nearly a full class, like a full tier of wide receivers, get a player that's most likely going to produce better and whatever else on top where, like I said, I like Jamison Williams, but there's just no way in hell he's wide receiver 16. There's just, it just doesn't yeah. happen. Yep. Give me a second rounder in Hollywood Brown and we'll keep it moving. We got a yeah. 110, Tim. 110, I'm going to go with my boy. I'm going with uh, George Pickens. Now, I do not at all like Kenny Pickett. I thought he had a good sideline ball when it came to his draft um, grading, but he doesn't read defenses very well and he hasn't been able to deliver to George Pickens how he should, as George Pickens has played a lot of the snaps. I would have be expecting a lot more production when it comes to just opportunities in terms of targets. And Pickett has been a little bit slow to start to transition to get, getting this big wide receiver his his targets. Now, I preach buying second-year wide receivers just because I feel like there's a lot of times where values are – the picture isn't clear and you're able to get in on a guy that is about to have a pretty good jump. And I feel like that's George Pickens. And – I'm hoping that we see better from Pickett, but if Pickens continues to uh, grow and his abilities to win on the outside continue to grow as well, I think it's going to be very difficult for even Pickett to not be able to get him the football. I am a huge believer in uh, George Pickens. Now at 111, I feel like it's another teardrop because there's a lot of uh, replacement running backs and kind of so-so players, but the one player besides uh, a tight end that I'm not taking in the first round that I like is going to be Rashad White. I think that the risk on Rashad White back end of the first or even early second where he was going in on some drafts will prove to be valuable when it comes to, I would say like running back 16 plus. So maybe running back 16 up to running back 12, depending on the week. I understand the offense is going to need work. But with those receivers, they should still get red zone work. And I think that Rashad White's going to get a very large share of the carries as well as some of the targets in the backfield. And I, I think I can, uh, it would be pretty easy to see double-digit games from him consistently on a week-to-week basis with larger uh, <clears throat> weeks of workload that he might hit 16 to 18 points. And that's going to be very nice as a uh, running back two or maybe even a flex option, depending on what your team build is. Yeah, I'm just not overvaluing Rashad White, right? This is a player who could be straight back into a committee. They've been in a bruiser, you know, a type of player. Like Leonard Fournette's gone, he's out of the picture. That's excellent for Rashad White's value. But I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in a player like that, Zach Charbonnet, or go something on day two, make a pick like that. They haven't signed a player into that, that role yet for their team, which in the short term looks good for Rashad White. But long term, I don't think he will necessarily just become this big bell cow, right? This is his size is fine and capable. He was a player who might need a year to adjust to the league. His speed is good. His size is good. He played well in his opportunities last year. Probably you could argue it could have been a little better, but I really like Rashad here at this pick. I think he was the only player that I would take here. Uh, he was kind of in like a little pocket tier of his own. Once we got past those wide receivers where he could be that RB two flex for you next year. I just don't want people I hate that we are just this wet blanket this that we're always throwing over stuff, but 
with Rashad White, I don't want you to walk out and think you, yeah, this is going to be Tony Pollard. This is going to be, no, I'm not sitting here and saying Rashad White's kind of an RB1 season. You got to think RB2, low on RB2 type flex. He has that upside, sure. He could always be the guy, the go-to guy in this team. I don't know if I'd predict that. So we'll see when projections all kink out where we have Rashad White from a redraft perspective. But in Dynasty, if a manager is thinking it's Rashad White season and you can move Rashad White for, honestly, any pick in this upcoming class, like 108 higher, like I'm I'm taking the pick. Like I'd probably rather have that Zark Charbonnet, whoever we end up with RB3 when the draft is all settled, than Rashad White, which is kind of where he's moved his way into market. Like him being 111 when we go back to last year's class, this had no quarterbacks, and it gets like Traylon Burks at 106 and John Hudson at 107 aren't true 106-107s. So if we're taking Rashad White in what's perceived as a thinner, weaker back-end first class at 111, why do we value Rashad White in open market greater than 111? It's just something I want people to think about because I see like in our Discord people talk Rashad White constantly saying I wouldn't take anything less than like 108, 109 for him, and I'm like. I probably disagree. We'll see what the package works out to. I think removing Shad White for a 24 first and uh, any little cherry on top is probably a deal I take. So one, I think, I think the move for 108 is good too because if you identify that as the teardrop, like let's say it's right before the teardrop, you may even get better negotiation. Um, moving that pit, positioning yeah. to where if you're on the clock with 108, you may get. A first plus a second plus yeah. uh, a wide receiver three. QB needy manager wants Will Levis start, so they come to you. Yeah. So it does give you a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more agility, but it really all matters to where that pick is. And and yeah. your league, your every league is going to be different because every league is going to pick a little bit different. So there might be players that fall that other players value more that can give you something on top, like you said. Oh yeah, and and quick comment on George Pickens: just dude played as a full time player last year especially when they lost Chase Claypool, still didn't see more than 15% team target share. That concerns me. When we were talking rookies last year, we said George Pickens could look like the most talented wide receiver of this class come 2024, and it would surprise none of us. Well, if you go look at highlight plays, that was not a hot take. Like George Pickens made plays where you're like, this guy could be legit, but then he just doesn't make an impact the way you want him to the rest of the time. Maybe he's young, he'd improve the quarterback quarterback play could improve but george pickens he just concerns me especially because with his price he falls into that gap of wide receiver where we said it's the plant flag territory and i don't want to plant my flag on george pickens with just his peripheral numbers we're always saying how the peripheral numbers for drake on look so good well the peripheral numbers for george pickens did not look good and that's what's turned me off of him a little bit like if i can go get deandre hopkins in a second and move off of george pickens i'm making that every single day because i'm getting the production assumed from deandre hopkins and i get a second on top of it that i can try to flip and turn into a player like george pickens who if you look back you know 111 him john Hudson 2 one he went into the second round of a lot of super flex drafts last year so i'm not gonna cry if i move on from george pickens and even if it does hit i really like the value there if you can get a good deal so i agree with you on that too i think that if there's someone that's really hot on him in your league definitely move him um because like you said i i agree there that the peripherals weren't great and i think that has a lot more to do though with Pickett than pickens but at the end of the day he's still his quarterback so if there is a guy that will give you you know great value for him take it because there's nothing 
nothing changes if you move from Pickens to Hopkins in the second in terms of what your team looks like. It just gives you way more market flexibility, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. All right, close your eyes for this next pick. I don't want you to see it. Um, <laughs> don't do it. I'm going to take Kenny Pickett. Oh, okay. Kenny Pickett, yes, he can. This is just quarterback. It's really what it comes down to. Like with Pittsburgh, unless he is an absolute dumpster fire, he's the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh Steelers next year. It's super flex. I hate that I have to make this pick, but there's only so many starters, and Kenny Pickett is one of them. Now, will he perform even as a QB2 next season? Maybe not. If I have Kenny Pickett, this is a player that I'm trying to package and move up for quarterback. I'm trying to trade off a of Kenny Pickett. 100 percent it's not a player i want on my team i don't believe in kenny pickett i don't think he's a good quarterback like i don't even, i didn't even value him as my top quarterback last year not that we we didn't think there was a first round graded quarterback in last year's class and we just said well whichever one goes round one probably just has to be our quarterback one from this class it ended up being kenny pickett so he's kind of that de facto qb1 of the class i just don't love the player again yeah i'm trying to move him but 112 here this class fell off uh, i'm not going to try to convince you that a committee back you know that got day three draft capital is worth more than a starting quarterback i'm just not going to do that like you can fade kenny pickett but it can only go so far like if kenny pickett was there around 10 of a super flex startup draft i'm auto selecting it out of principle but i'm not taking kenny pickett in round six because he's a 25 year old quarterback who's starting like, don't be confused with, oh, well, he's young. It doesn't work like that for quarterbacks. Like, with quarterbacks, the window for these guys is, like, you're, you're looking three to five years. Well, you can be a 33-year-old quarterback and still have a three- to five-year window. Like, I'm not valuing Kenny Pickett over a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, who's because Kirk Cousins is 34 years old. I don't care. The windows are different. Uh, for quarterbacks than they are other positions. The shelf life is different. I'd rather have the guy that I know is going to have a job in two years. So off that for Kenny Pickett, because I don't necessarily love that pick for sure. I'm going to go Greg Dulcich here, who, no! I, have, who I have with Kenny Pickett. Um, I'm still not going to convince you to take one of these day three backs who's a committee back at this spot. Greg Dulcich, I think, is a really solid player. It's not overly exciting. It's in that Pat Frymuth tier. He's not elite necessarily at anything, but I think he gives you back end tight end one value. He think gives you back end tight end one week, especially if we, we spoke earlier when we talked Jerry Judy in the 2020 class. We don't know if Cortland Sutton is going to be sticking around on this team, and that could be really good for Greg Dulcich. Also, Sean Payton's history with tight ends is okay. He uses the position. So I like Greg Dulcich a lot. I think he's a fine player. His hair is a 10 out of 10. We'll get him on his oboe and keep it going. Tim, 202, 203, who you got? Uh, you, you got me with Dulcich. That hurts. But I'm with you, though, with Pickett. If you acquire him, you're acquiring him to move him. If you're acquiring him. The idea with Pickett and with all quarterbacks in a lot of situations that are not studs, um, it's a little bit different because Pickett's situation where he's kind of kind of locked in as the starter, not really, but he is, where the element of the unknown is still on his side, where he could get better. There might be a chance in which he improves. He was QB 36 in points per game at 11.9. That's worse than most people, most non-quarterbacks you can put in the super flex spot. But if you can get him for cheap and you can package him 
and turn him into a quarterback that you like better, you already won. So I agree with it you. Doesn't on even that. have to be a package. Move. Like if I want a QB two, you could go trade Kenny Pickett for Aaron Rodgers in a second. Um, give me Aaron Rodgers in a second because we talked about that window for these quarterbacks. Well, if Aaron goes to the Jets, I'm gonna hope he plays two years and give me two years of Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't have to be MVP Aaron Rodgers, even if it's QB two Aaron Rodgers, which we've seen once. Um, give me that. Give me that for two years and give me the second to kind of re-roll somewhere else over Kenny Pickett, like every single time. Now, if you go to that JWB, um, rec- what what did you call it? The spreadsheet that shows us all of our clips? The clips catalog. If you go to the clips catalog, you'll see another KTC buy sell episode on Kenny Pickett. I recommend you, you watch that one. Um, for 202 and 203. Man, it gets really thin here. Come on. Take Devin Singletary's best friend. Do it. Uh, I don't know who that is. Just kidding. Or is, or is it his worst enemy? I don't, that's a good question. It all depends on if Twitter thinks that he's good or not. I think at 202, Twitter I'm going to lean Algier. Just okay. based on the fact he's already proven that he can handle a load and he can produce off of it. Now, like I said before, that does not that is not predictive of future success. It is only descriptive of past past success. So he could easily be replaced in this draft, but at this point in time, I feel like he had proven the most when it comes to this class of, of rookies that are remaining on the board. Oh, the next one. Let's go with... Man, this is so bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I get... I, hmm. I'm I'm not liking it, but I'm gonna go Damian Pierce. There we go. Let's talk I about don't like it. it. Man, I I literally have these ranked out, and I just I feel sick trying to take them. Tell the people, Damian Pierce. How do you feel? Obviously, Devin Singletary. If you haven't seen, signed one year, three million dollars, pretty marginal money. They have seven picks in day one, day two. How do you feel about Damian Pierce? They signed uh, was it Mike Boone. Someone else has kind of a depth piece. I don't hate Damian Pierce, the player. I hate the the idea of Damian Pierce being a solid dynasty asset. The thing is, like he and Singletary could easily coexist, and it could be good if that Texans offense scores points because they can both be supported. But if we're talking any sort of ceiling or any sort of safety, Damian Pierce does not have it. And I think that's a big thing to really understand and really take have grips on. Not saying you have to get rid of Damian Pierce right away, seller or whatever, but just know what you have. Have a better understanding of the asset that you hold because it'll give you a better opportunity to, once again, um, evaluate your roster properly to then know what the next move is. But Pierce has shown that he's capable of playing in the NFL. I don't think he sees as many... Uh, opportunities next year and that lowers the ceiling but like i said if the the texans are actually moving the ball and have a chance inside the the red zone or at the goal line and he scores a touchdown that eliminates the need for a lot of uh, him to have so much volume or so many or high percentage of all the touches because he can produce on less if he's scoring touchdowns and singletary can also produce but we just don't know how the coaches are going to value or use these players yet in terms of the total share that they're going to get. And that's what makes a lot of this unsettling is because he's at 203, 
there's no way in heck you're paying 203 for any sort of committee back that you don't know the role or what the role is going to be. <laughs> Which might, funny enough, be where a lot of these running backs in this upcoming class fall in your drafts. Davey Pierce all offseason were screaming sell. We were screaming sell last year when Twitter went crazy. He looked great in preseason. Day three back. How many times do we have to rinse, repeat? Day three back. Look what happened to Michael Carter. Okay, I with James Robinson. Well, he went undrafted. Then Singletary took into the end of day two. But it's the same thing. When the draft capital is not there for these backs and they produce decently as a rookie, there is no guarantee. That's why with Brian Robinson, we were a little apprehensive to pull him off the board. That's why with Tyler Algier, there's some apprehension. It's still day three back. Right. With, with Tyler Algier, I would like to see him open up the pass catching role, play like I think he could be like a James Conner type player. Um, if he sees that work, which he he looked like he could do coming out of BYU, but he did he just didn't get it last year. Um, and Patterson still exists. But with Damian Pierce, him and Singletary like are oddly good compliments. Like Pierce is a bruiser. I think he's a really talented runner. My main problems are Okay, so Buffalo drafts James Cook to come in and be this pass-catching back. He couldn't get out there on third down because Devin Singletary blocked well enough. He's not a lead at it, but he did well enough to be out there on those downs. He ran a lot of these like phantom routes out there um, last year because he was out there on those downs. He just ate up those downs because he was better than the alternatives. And Damian Pierce last year were coming in. We thought maybe Rex Burkhead would be the pass-catching down. Pierce would be the first two down back. And it kind of like flipped, even though Pierce like, Pretty much was in there for four seconds. He also claimed that third down. Well, if Singletary comes in and steals those downs, Pierce is inherently limited. He's now just a first, second down back. And for that and part of a committee, you have to thrive through touchdowns. Well, Houston didn't score a lot of touchdowns the last two seasons. That is not something I want to bank on. They're going to have a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks look at teams like the Giants with Daniel Jones. Look at the Steelers with Kenny Pickett. I know those players aren't as talented as Bryce Young, but historically rookie offenses don't score a ton look at trevor lawrence's jaguars it might not be the best situation for damian pierce to score and if Devin singletary is stealing third third down uh it's it's a it's a tough committee i think they work well i think they do work well though because Devin for real football because Devin singletary is a nice second down back comes in randomly change pace uh make miss people make people miss in a phone booth uh good wiggle he works really hard. Coaches like Devin Singletary. He's one of the hardest workers. And as I said, he can get out there on third downs where his hands are kind of like bricks. He does everything else <laughs> you want him to do on third down, except catch the ball naturally. Like you have to basically hand the ball to him. But again, uh, I just I don't love the situation. But Damian Pierce there is probably an auto selection just from a talent standpoint. Also, um, two two running backs that coaches love, that teams love. They didn't get resigned by the teams that love them in this offseason. This is true. So, this is true. Something, I think, I think Damian Harris, for what it's worth, is a better fit next to James Cook than Devin Singletary. Oh, because I agree. Devin Singletary said he fits well with Pierce because Pierce is more the bruiser, and then Singletary can handle everything else you need out of the back. Well, when Devin Singletary is kind of the guy you want to do most of the stuff, and James Cook comes in to give you the burst, the splash, maybe catch actually catch passes like a pass catcher not as a pass blocker that's not a great partnership with Devin Singletary where I think uh the Harris is a better fit there in Buffalo but Agreed. moving on here I will take it's funny my next player here I knew he'd be here 
I could probably take him all the way. At, <laughs> I could probably take this next player at 212 because I know, Tim, you're looking up the ADP from 2022, and he's not on it because he didn't go in the top 50 picks. I'm thinking Chigakonkwo here at 204, tight end off the board. Big, oh, not big, but athletic tight end. He came in, made big plays last year is what I meant to say. He was grabbing, oh, I got to type him in, making 30, 40-yard yeah. catches. He had a string where he had multiple games in a row with 30, 40-yard catches. Him and Kittle kind of seemed to be the only guys in the NFL last year making those types of plays. And for a team that's going to have to throw the ball somewhere, we talked about when we talked Traylon Burks, where are those volumes going to go? I think Chiga Conkle is the other name who could really make a, a, a name for himself, really cement himself in the league next year. I'm really excited for Chiga Conquo. I think him, I think I haven't confidently stepped back from Greg Dolchich just from a safety standpoint, but him versus like a Trey McBride, who I'm sure we're going to get to sooner rather than later, I think is the next comfortable tier. Like, I think if you're a manager who wants to capitalize on Darren Waller coming back to life and you, you're rebuilding and you want to get off Darren Waller, well, Darren Waller is a lot of name value. Go throw out Darren Waller and a second for Chiga Conquo and see if it gets done. You could argue me that I'd rather have Chig than Waller just based on age. Um, so I think that'd be a really good move. I think Chig Conco is a good target. Last year we were talking, would be really upset if he jumped into top 12 tight ends, if he went in the top 10 rounds. But no, you're getting on like round 12, 13, tight end 14, 15. Great price. I really like it. There's low risk there. And he like checks so many boxes. When we want to see what tight ends... Every year there's a tight end outside, you know, the top 12 who ends up finishing top six. What do they need? They need 70 to 90 targets at least or double-digit touchdowns. And Chigakonko could get you double-digit touchdowns and he also could get you 90 targets. So I think Chigakonko is a really good flyer at the position. And I'm comfortable taking him at 204 here over a bunch of committee backs so I got got I got 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 I let it I, I let it hang man I, knew I, I knew no I I thought I could get him later I did Ooh. all right and then I'll put I'll put our boy the next committee back it's not going to be Devin Singletary's old best friend it's going to be Isaiah Pacheco that's the player I'm going to go with here where when we talked to Clyde Edwards Alaire in the 2020 class sneaking into the 212 where he said he could he could still have a role like in Kansas City they have the pass catching down back and then they have the explosive guy. They've done it every year. They've had that back before. Clyde was there. They ran that committee. It was uh, the William, the two wheel, Damian and Daryl. And then they said, well, we need a guy. They went out to get Clyde. It ended up sliding right in where it was Clyde and someone else. Last year we saw it when Clyde was out. It still was McKinnon and Pacheco. I think he's inherently limited. We loved Pacheco. I had Pacheco as a, th- a third round, mid third round pick last year. And he was going in the mid to back fourth. So I had him in every single draft. I haven't traded a player more than I traded Isaiah Pacheco. I was cashing out for seconds. I was catching out for players like Rashad Bateman as a wide receiver. I traded Isaiah Pacheco straight up for. Uh, I think it's a really good price because Isaiah Pacheco, as much as I love him, and he's a he's a character, he's a little firecracker. He's limited. He's limited. Um, you could have gone James Cook here because he can catch a ball. I just think Isaiah Pacheco is better for a role. It's not the more desired role for fantasy. I'm not going to let the five targets in that playoff game fool me. I don't think that's who he is. Uh, But really talented runner. It's an offense where if he gets 10-plus carries and is the first look in the red zone on the ground, 
It's going to have a lot of RB2 weeks for you. There's value for that. I'm just not overdoing it with Pacheco. A lot of people love them. Your your favorite site there, Tim KTC, even though even though we roast it, that's the whole point of us bringing it up all the time, is flown into the top 20 on that site at multiple points, and it's too high for me. But I still like him as a player. So I'll take him here at 205. Uh, we mentioned how much this class thins out. So I'm cool taking him here. There's so many ways I can go right here. I'm just trying to anticipate what you're gonna do i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm th- i'm gonna i'm gonna go uh, my theoretical team's gonna beat yours man i'm just trying to figure out what, what i can hold on to what i can get later i was never a james cook guy but i do like the idea of receiving but i'm gonna go with a guy who i who i've been on a big fan of for a while and that's gonna be trey mcbride at 206 I understand that tight ends take some time. I understand he didn't really show much until later in the year, but he did show that he, he did have a ceiling. He showed chops in that game as well. I always thought he had to get in the weight room, really build an NFL body before he could really get out there and be effective as a tight end. But I think that his time is coming sooner rather than later, especially on a team that's not winning, that they let him get more seasoning out there as well. Because a team without Kyler is probably a team that's not that's not making a bunch of moves, but you let your young pass catchers get some more, some more experience. I think that'll be beneficial in the long run. So I, I think Trey's going to take a pretty good step next year. It just in terms of even just uh, snap share. And my next pick, I'm going to go with uh, Sam Howell here. I think that he has an opportunity to start. I was, my comparison or my thought process with Sam Howell is that I think he's going to be limited in his fantasy ceiling but have a nice fantasy floor. I think he's not going to turn the ball over too much because I don't think pressure really bothers him, especially because he was never shying away from hits when he ran the football. So I think that that means that 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 impacts his psyche, which I think actually impacts his ability to keep his eyes downfield longer. I don't know if he gets to start right away. I don't know if Joe Kobe's going to be um someone that's going to be competing or if they're already communicated what his role is going to be and that's going to be a backup to a developmental sam howell but i think that at 207 you're taking a risk at a starting quarterback that there's still a lot of questions kind of like how we're saying with kenny pickett we just don't know yet that this could provide some pretty decent floor and if he's even hit 17 points a game that's that's like qb14 and i don't mind that at all yeah, disappointingly enough, I just don't know if Sam Howell is going to get that opportunity. Right? I don't know if they, bring in the, they brought in the vet stopgap. I think he might end up starting over Sam Howell, which is disappointing. It's like if Baker Mayfield's getting four opportunities, how does Sam Howell not get one? <laughs> I know draft <laughs> capital plays, but like, look at these two dudes and tell me like what the huge talent gap is here at this point in their careers. Uh, I'm fine with the pick here. 207, like you're talking a whole lot. Again, it's more committee backs or it's it's really dark wide receivers so i'm cool with it there and trey mcbride like if you trey mcbride is the perfect case study we were saying with tight ends earlier when we talked pat fryer with about where he's going 206 here in this this draft he was going around there in last year's draft it's really tough for these tight ends to gain value going into year two like he's 206 in our draft here because it's like it's again this de facto we keep saying because it thins out so much. But like when you're looking at startup drafts or you're looking at points in the season where his market value was, he was almost left for dead in a lot of senses because he wasn't producing, which 
we don't normally expect, especially when Zach Ertz was a player we were saying could be a tight end one last season, um, just based on volume before DeAndre Hopkins comes back. And he was until he got hurt. So I think everything we were saying about that was true. He could be back even next year. So with Trey McBride, I'm, I'm just performing patience. I'm uh, making sure that I keep him on my team and don't get impatient and move him off for like a third or something. That's just inconsequential. It's not going to make an impact on the team because Jim McBride, if we go back to 2020, the 2020 class, he'd be the tight end one. If we go back to 2021, he'd be the tight end three. Like last year's class, he was the tight end one this year. He'd be the tight end three. I think Kincaid and Mayer go ahead of him and then probably him or Washington. I think he probably, it goes over Washington because we don't know what Washington's pass catching role will be at the next level. Um, so Trey McBride is just a player to, I tell, I would tell people to please have some patience on because him or Chigakonkwa, I think are two talented players to have on the back burner. So love to pick. I'll lock in James Cook because we, we got to get him off at some point here. I think, I think you can make the argument James Cook or Damian Pierce or Pacheco. Like it's all in that tier. He's a committee back. I don't think being, you know, f- six feet tall, 110 pounds, that he's ever going to be more than what he was last year. He flashed at points, which is great. I think he can make big plays. Um, my problem with James Cook last year, despite his size being that of um, a scat back, like the only people at his size who have succeeded, like if you think he's he's not James Charles and he's not Christian McCaffrey. So throw those names out and look at the rest of the people at 27 BMI and their NFL roles. They don't do a whole lot. And with James Cook, um, I, I understand a little excitement with the Buffalo offense. I just think on his size, he has limitations that he won't get past. And, but I'm fine here at two way. When he last year he snuck in, where was his ADP? One twelve. It was egregious. It was egregious that people were taking James Cook over Jahan Dotson the name right after. It was egregious. We have a round one wide receiver. I don't care that he went to Washington. He was a round one grade who got gr- round one draft capital. What are we doing? We're overthinking it. That's why I said we're running backs fly up the boards faster than wide receivers because who he's in Buffalo. I don't care. You take him at 112, what is the ceiling? You want him to be Tony Pollard? Well, Tony Pollard last year, at points uh, until right now where Zeke was gone, you weren't getting the 112 for Tony Pollard ever. So you're spending the 112 on James Cook to hopefully be Tony Pollard so you can trade him for the 112? Like, James Cook was the ultimate situation where when you were on the clock at that pick, you trade back or you trade into 2024. They're costing you to do the same thing in this upcoming class when you have running backs with a lot of imperfections in their profile and you're sitting there at the early second or the late first. If somebody's giving you a nice package for the future, don't fall into the trap and take the player because James Cook was overbought and is still overvalued. A lot of people really like him rounds eight to 10 in the startup. It's just not me. I think he's limited. I think he's a fine player. I think he was a luxury pick in the second round. I think that draft capital is misleading. Buffalo was like, we want someone who can make, give us speed on the outside and give us explosive plays because we couldn't beat Tyree Kill in 17 seconds. We need someone who's going to make big plays. And they went for the speed on James Cook and they reached on him for what he can provide to the offense. That doesn't mean you need to reach on him for your fantasy team. 209. I think Brian Robinson, while he's here, I talked a little bit on him. I thought that's where you were going to go, Tim, there at 207. 
We talked Antonio Gibson in the 2020 class part of the draft where I'm scared to buy Washington backs before the draft ends because when players like Austin Eckler were like, trade me, they called. When uh, Bijan's meeting with teams, they're one of the teams who were in a good spot on the draft board to at least show some interest. He was that back that they took, they took where they took him last year. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a back this year in a similar range of the draft just to give themselves leverage, another dart and a player who can make a real difference. Uh, I don't expect Antonio Gibson to extend or be with the team after next year. And for that reason, I just am nervous with Brian Robinson. I think he's just a guy. We liked him last year. We got him in the mid third in a lot of drafts. We telling people to get him because he's an NFL body. He's a big boy. He can catch a pass if you need him to. He can block if you need him to. He can run for four yards in a cloud of dust if you need him to. He can score a touchdown from the one-yard line if you need him to. And for a lot of teams, that's enough to hang around and have a role for a long time. I just think he's limited because he's not going to go out and be a prolific pass catcher. He's not going to break off big runs. And unless he's getting 20 touches a game, which given his size, I guess could happen. It did at points last season. What is the upside? Even with that volume, he was giving you middling RB2, high RB2 weeks. And that was best case scenario. So for Brian Robinson, I think he's just a guy. He slides in here at two and nine. I think it's a really safe, really competent pick. Last guy in a tier for me. So I'm happy getting him here. Um, but I'm not like in love with the player. I think he's totally fine. It's his group like rounds eight to 12 where there's just all these committee backs. We're saying unless you're going to be arrogant and predict exactly what teams are going to do with their committees and who's going to stand out and what offenses are going to be scoring tutties, it's probably something I'm always looking to move on from if the price is right. So with Brian Robinson, it's fine having your team. Like I'm not saying go and sell them for a bag of peanuts, but I'm always listening to offers on these backs to Pierce, Algier, Pacheco, Cook, Robinson. None of them are like, I'm holding on to them <laughs> for, for dear life. Don't take, don't take my toy. Uh, they're, they're definitely for sale. Yeah. When I picked Howell, Robinson was the highest player on my board, but I like the quarterback value there. So I went that way for the cook and Robinson picks. I think James cook, the best opportunity or best fit for him to succeed is with Buffalo. The reason being is because Josh Allen takes so much attention away in the run, running game or even the potential run that it gives Cook such an opportunity against defenders one-on-one. I think that's why he showed any bit success in his, his metrics where they showed the efficiency. But That was one I of don't... his big plays last year. It was just that. Josh grabbed attention. Two guys drew to him. He flipped the ball to James Cook on the left side, and he took it for 30 yards. Mm-hmm. Like That's that's the play you're talking about. Well, I just think that in general, but like, I think if his last name wasn't cook, no one would give a shit. Sorry. No one would care. And with Robinson, I really, really liked Brian Robinson. But the issue that I'm having is that in an offense, like, like the commanders, they're just not dynamic enough to score enough points or to get enough opportunities to score touchdowns. Because if Brian Robinson's, let's say, averaging, uh, let's say, half touchdown a week, right? So it, he gets a decent more touchdowns on the season, which would then definitely change the perception. He also can catch passes. He's very understanding of, of a playbook and, and even the pressure releases when it comes to getting out and being able to compete against the coverage when the, the pressure or like they send um, 
extra rushers where he needs to be a pressure outlet, he can do that very well. But like the quarterback play last year really didn't um, wow anyone, nor I, nor do I think that they had a lot of that nuance in their game with like Heineke who throws hospital balls all the time. I don't think he's going to really understand the dump off too much. So I think there's opportunity for Brian Robinson's role to grow or his opportunity to grow. I just think the issue is, is that the team he's on, that chance is so low that you're probably going to have this same type of player next year. And that's not valuable in the long run. And I was big on Brian Robinson. I thought he was going to score a ton of touchdowns this year and be very valuable as a rookie running back, like maybe top three in scoring. And it just didn't happen because they just didn't score enough points. They needed something to cheer for last year. All the bull crap that's going on behind the scenes, which is still going on when you see with the owners and potentially clearing their rooms or whatever, they needed something to root for. And he was a he was a guy to root for last year. Obviously, him getting shot right before the season, coming back, and then they were force feeding him in that first game back. He like force fed him a touchdown, and it gave them something to be excited about, and the fan base something to root for. And he'll be a fan favorite because of it. There was the big hat thing; everyone loved that online. And um, I think he's fine. I, I think he'll be a NFL player for a long time. Uh, he's just again those limitations. I can't get past. Absolutely. Um, at 210, the board's kind of kind of weak at this point. Um, I could go after one of the another upside tight end, but I'm gonna go after um two wide receivers here that I want to see what the Boom. upside is on. And the first one I'm gonna take is Alex Pierce or Alec Pierce, excuse me. I think he showed in some games the potential he's got, and then the quarterbacks dropped off because of injury or because of replacement. And I don't think that we got a very clear or accurate picture of what Alec Pierce is off of his rookie season. I think right now he's a buy because I think he's cheap. I think he's super cheap right now as in someone to go acquire. But I also think that we've seen how he operates like underneath and we've also seen how he operates deep. He's capable of doing both things. The question will be, does he get enough volume? Is that offense going to have enough plays to support Pittman and him and uh, show growth at the same time? But to use his rookie year would be misleading at best to try to describe the type or caliber of player he is. And at 210, I think it's a perfect risk. The next guy I'm going to take a risk on is going to be John Mechie, a guy we know nothing about in terms of pros in terms of his pro um outlook just because of uh what was it leukemia that yeah. he had so i like john mechie coming out i feel like he's the thing is i think john mechie's ceiling is limited and i think it's limited before it hits houston but i could be wrong and there's a lot of worse players that that i could be putting in these spots that will net me nothing where i could take a chance at the unknown that about a player that i liked coming in because I think he battles. I think he's really good understanding route concepts and succeeding and finding ways to win and win on timing as well to be at the spot when he needs to be there. So I think there's worse opportunities for a player like, or, or for a pick to pick a player like Mechie and pick someone else instead. We're in this, I'm just going to take the risk. Maybe I see some flash and I still feel that the upside is low. I can still sell him off to another person that, that has gotten that bug where they're they're interested now that they've been invigorated based on the play and I can flip them for something else or package them up for another another receiver or another uh, player of need and I think that's okay 
especially in a draft class that falls off, where there are some other players that you could take that potentially have upside. But I, I'm going to go after this upside for um, two two eleven. I think it's fine. Yeah, John Machi, John Machi would have been my pick there. I think the um, you can't go wrong. I mean, six foot six foot wide receiver, 190 pounds out of Alabama draft in the second round. Like that, he had a lot of a lot of green check marks right on his profile. Couple concerns. It was ceiling concerns, right? We thought this might be a player who can come in and just be a fine wide receiver two on a team. Um, potentially be wide receiver three, four for your team. And he was going in this spot last year. John Mechie was going 206 last year in drafts. He fell because of the uncertainty with the medical that all came up, which I hope he's doing really well. Them signing Robert Woods, uh, Noah Brown to come in to block. Some of these players makes me think maybe he's not where we'd like him to be. But if John Mechie gets out there and plays football, I really like it. Here you're talking very low risk. Again, we're not telling you to go trade your 210 or 211 for Alec Pierce or John Mechie because – I'm actually cool with 209 for Brian Robinson. I think that's fine. It's not like the draft above where Antonio Gibson at 207. We're saying, no way in hell. Do not go spend your 207 <laughs> Antonio Gibson. Like like 205 for Gabe, 206 for DPJ. It's kind of okay. Kadaris Tony, 206 is fine. The last draft where 207 hits with Elijah Mitchell is where it's like, that's a third-round player. Do not spend 207. It's simply because of our draft. we got to take somebody. The draft above it, same spot, 207. Well, we got to draft someone here. Sam Howell, maybe a little different, but I think this kind of extends back to 209. Maybe that's because we haven't had an extra year for some of these players to really fail or fall out in the way that the last two classes have. But I am just want to preface that. Do not go spend your 210 or 211 on Pierce or Mechie. Pierce is fine. I like the athleticism. Good opportunity there. We just don't know what the offense is going to be like. We don't know if he's actually that good. Uh, John Mechie. Yeah, I mean, with Houston, there will be opportunity for it to get volume, especially if they don't go out and draft like Jordan Addison in the first round. Um, two twelve. Got two ways I could go here. I could go with Desmond Ritter, who's just like could start next year, and like, but I don't. I'm not going that way because my problem with Desmond Ritter was you can go find our clip catalog. We just even just this week talked on Desmond Ritter. I'm gonna go with Wondell Robinson if you want to lock the pick in there. Uh, my problem with Ritter is he was. Pushed to me as his rushing quarterback. Dude had like 16 rushing yards per game last year. <laughs> he threw it 63% accuracy, which is better than I'd expect, except his A dot was like six, or his, his average at the target was like six yards. His yards per attempt. It was like six yards. So he's throwing quick balls underneath. I hope if you're throwing the ball only six yards at a time, you're throwing at least 63%. So the way the offense was built up, they got a lot of big guys or slot guys you know, running backs. That's what the offense was built through, built through the run game. And he didn't give me any rushing himself. So I'm like, what does Desmond Ritter do for me if he actually is starting? Like, I, I'd rather play a wide receiver in my super flex than Desmond Ritter a lot of the time, which really crushes the value for a quarterback you don't believe in uh, for actually going out and winning the job long-term. So I'm not going to take him. I'm going to take Wando Robinson. I was more in on Wando Robinson last season before he went out with the unfortunate knee injury because – Sterling Shepard's injury, the way this team was set up, Brian Dable, no quarterback, targeted their slot wide receiver more since coming into the league than Josh Allen in his tenure with Brian Dable. That's my emphasis is Brian Dable, slot wide receiver, not so Josh Allen. He loves to go that way. I think it's reinforced with them bringing in um, Paris Campbell, who 
plays out the slot. I'm sure he could also go outside, play wide, stretch the field a little bit like Slayton did, but they brought Slayton back and they signed Shepard again, who might not make the team. He could just be there keeping him on. So he has the health insurance kind of thing and he might not make the final roster or he does. And he's a player who's always commanded targets. Um, they have tight ends coming out of the slot. I feel like they've got a million slot wide receivers. I'm probably even forgetting a name there that plays slot, but I think Richard James walk, but Wandale, the volume might not be as guaranteed as it was last year was my whole point of bringing up all of those players, but I still like them like out of there. I think he's the most explosive player they have in that area. We'll see how he recovers from the knee injury that they, they drafted this player in the second round. When they already had Kadarius Tony on roster. So obviously the staff had some bit of belief in Wanda Robinson as being an impact player into this offense. He's someone who I don't think is going to thrive unless he's getting at least six to eight targets a game. It could happen uh, right now. It's a little more murky, as we said, with that room. But I still like Wandale Robinson. I think for a competitive team, if you could go actually send your 212 for Wandale Robinson, I am I like that buy. I actually would rather spend my 212 on Wandale than I would Alec Pierce or John Mechie. It's just me personally. I wasn't huge on Wandale last year at this point when people were hyping him up to be like Rondell Moore was the year before as an early second when he's like a five foot eight player. Uh, and that's generous, I think, that height measurement. But I still like Wondell Robinson. I think he's a fine player. I believe in Brian Dable. That's not just bias. I think he's actually just a good coach. Um, so, yeah, Wondell. I'm, ex- I'm I'm happy to round the draft off with that. You already made me take Kenny Pickett. I didn't want to take Desmond Ritter. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm cool wrapping off on Wondell. You got any any opinion on Wondell before we wrap this up? A couple things to share. Uh Desmond Ritter, 47th at the position, points per game at 8.9. Trash. Um, Wandale, hmm, I mean, I wasn't in on him. I, I think he's really good against zone. My question coming into the draft was, is he, is he going to get enough share of the offense? If he can do that, he's going to score enough fantasy points to be viable. I just, that was my big concern is, is, is he going to be able to uh, require the offensive coordinator to give him enough touches. Lastly, all of these drafts, the composite percentage is 75% of the players that were drafted per ADP, even if they're in different orders, were drafted on the redraft. But we see how much thinner everything is. There are going to be a just a ton of misses, a ton, every single year. So when it comes to just certain parts of the draft, yeah, this year, like we're going to, we're going to talk about 2023. This year might be great to have multiple second round picks to take dart throws, but you're probably going to miss on them. And the thing is not not in good or bad, just have that in your mind. When you make the picks, don't have an expectation that all these guys are going to hit because they're just not now like James cook was just ridiculous in the first round whatsoever. But like most of the other picks, seem to have made a lot of sense even if we go back to the you know the 2020 the only issue there was some blind chief loved love when it came to like Clyde Edwards Alaire but like besides that we're, we're looking at guys that are kind of repeating back into that first round or high second round so yeah uh, again we we here we love veterans like uh i was on stream we had mike Fiala on today for mock monday and he's he said his first four years he played dynasty he, he doesn't know if he made a single dynasty pick or rookie pick because when it comes to these guys if you don't know all of these players and what makes them good or how they can fit in which is hopeful you're watching us to kind of see like hey what is it with these rookies that makes them special what offenses could they actually perform well in 
you're probably better off moving those picks for the veterans. So when you see all these misses, hopefully it reinforces that. I'm, I agree with Tim. Yeah, if you have a bunch of seconds, I'm cool taking a bunch of dart throws and you're hoping one hits. But also, if you have like three seconds and managers goo goo gaga over this draft class, go ship those three seconds and get yourself a player you know is going to be in your lineup. So um, especially if you know your trade partner utilizes KTC, Tim's favorite things. You go throw three <laughs> mid seconds in. Apparently on their calculator, you can get Stefan Diggs. So we'll end on that note here. Thank you guys all for watching us. As we said, coming out very soon, we're going to put out a couple days from now, 2023 draft class. And we're going to put all of these players in one big draft board and say, where does this year's class fall into tiers amongst the last three classes, which is extremely valuable. So if you enjoyed that, you enjoyed this, you stuck around, you watched any of the three parts or the full thing, because I'll put these all up in one single thing. Please subscribe. If you hung around this long, I don't know why you haven't. Uh, like, you can find all of our stuff at J2B underscore FF on Twitter, J2BFantasyFootball.com. The Come Discord. draft with us. Come draft with us. Oh, yeah. Mock drafts every single day out of the Discord. It's in the description. Yeah, guys. So we got for you. We'll catch you very soon.